Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. We're almost celebrating two years to the day for our launch back in 2020 when we thought this was going to be a, you know, just a little brief series that Al and I would do once at the beginning of quarantine. Here we are two years later. So for all of those who've been listening, or maybe this is the first time you were listening, thank you for joining us. This is our vaunted, much talked about, and shockingly very well produced Moneyball retrospective podcast. Of course, my name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com, as I have been for the last 13 years, and I am joined by the Peter Brand to my Billy Bean, Mr. Al Manorino, reluctant managing editor of thepopbreak.com, my reluctant best friend, and uh, a guy I would not trade to the Phillies. Thank you. What a, what an introduction. I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, I, I guess I am the Peter Brand because I'm like the idea guy, and you like actually have to make it happen. So you are the the Billy Bean. Um, yeah, dude. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I know that this episode is dedicated to Moneyball, and we'll we'll get into that uh, very shortly. Um, as my dog chews as so loudly on his bow next to me don't worry um, uh, one of the interviews we had a car alarm going off so great uh, perfect and we'll get into that as well but uh you know just before we jump into any of that i do have a question for you even though you're kind of steering the ship is like when we started this when i came up when we kind of came up with this idea right how long did you think we were actually going to do it for because we we've had millions of ideas in the pop break for like series and things like that but things have come and gone and brought back and things like that but like how long do you did you think that this would go 100 episodes i mean i also didn't think this website would run for 13 years so i mean the answer is no i felt like we were gonna do this up until things cleared up and then you got really social again which has been a running joke on this podcast anyway literally tonight (laughs) uh yeah so uh no i i didn't know how long it was gonna last I, i figured i'm like oh maybe we'll run out 2020 maybe uh, but it's just been a blast to be able to do this, man. Every almost every single week, we took last week off because we needed a break. <laughs> but uh, we had sick. I was, I, 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 yeah, I was burnt out and still am. But yeah, we had had a, I want to say almost a five to six months straight run of no interruptions. I'm probably wrong. It's probably like four, four or five months we had of no interruptions from September through March. Uh, really no interruptions and uh, so yeah so the dads needed a break for sure for sure but yeah al so you came up with this idea a while ago i think live on one of our shows it was like i know what we're gonna do we're gonna do moneyball yeah so why did you choose moneyball as the 100th episode uh subject matter so so correct me if i'm wrong we for the did we do the 25th or the 50th episode was um was point pleasant Ooh, that's a good question. I want to say it was the 25th. You know, it's like I'm also I'm also looking at the feed. But basically, we were like, with when we hit these like kind of like arbitrary numbers, I was trying to think of like, what can we do? Like, what would be fun for us? Because like the whole podcast is like, we don't really care about listenership or, um, you know, anything for that matter. Yeah, but we, we it's do, like we care. It's just we've accepted. <laughs> we, yeah, we've accepted that no one cares. Uh, about the show but we but we like i just like the whole goal of this thing is like have fun and bs with you like that's that's the whole 
goal of this show, right? So, so um, twenty five was Point Pleasant. Fifty okay. was like our retrospective, which was just like a like a just a no, it was, was it was fun. It was a bit of a filler episode, but yeah, twenty five was uh, Point. And then seventy five we did see here now, so it was like kind of we for these like monumental kind of shows we always do something and i was like wow we're doing a hundred episodes and me and you like i don't know we've always talked about like one thing that we kind of always agree on is like money ball rules and and i think what one of the things that spawned it is actually going to be like our first guest that you guys get to hear from tonight um was that we just i don't know who i think it probably was lucas our our editor but like um this money ball memes account just kind of came out of nowhere on Twitter. Uh, I saw someone retweet it and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Cause this is such a hyper specific meme account. Like I follow, I don't follow like a lot of meme accounts, but the ones I do follow are like, um, um, you know, like parks and rec, no context or, or, or Brooklyn nine, nine or new girl or something like that. Usually it's like shows I love or movies I love. And it's just people kind of putting like Brooklyn nine, nine is a great example though, but like, uh, like oh, random, blue, random blue quotes. No yeah. Bluey, bluey, no context. I follow that too, but like random um, quotes from the show, but like Moneyball memes takes it a step further where they take actual, like they make their own memes or they take stuff that's happening right now, currently in pop culture and, and on Twitter and stuff. And we'll make Moneyball versions of those memes. And I was like, this is, genius this is such a a great idea um and i think that helped spawn like oh i got an idea we we talked about point pleasant which is maybe the weirdest dumbest thing that came out of new jersey that didn't at the same time let's talk about something we absolutely adore which is moneyball because it's the probably the best my favorite sports movie of all time one of the best movies of like the last like 10 years i think it was the 10th anniversary a couple months ago i think so yeah this yeah. is there's a lot of hot takes on this podcast about where this movie ranks and mm-hmm. is this the best sports movie is this the best baseball movie we've got so the format of this podcast is unlike anything else so uh, different uh it's going to be uh we decided uh, this might have been my dumbass idea. It was like, let's do nine people. No, this that, that was wait, your idea. No, no, I didn't get it done. <laughs> yes, I, again, I am the brand. You are the beam. I was like, here's the idea, and <laughs> you have to make it happen. Um, I think it was yeah, it was like we came up with like the nine innings, one yeah. person per inning kind of so idea. Have, but I'll let I'll let you kind of yeah. So we have nine. We have nine quote unquote batters that are that will come in there at nine guests. Some of we have, I believe, four debuts. Uh, so making their debuts, we're going to have the guy behind Moneyball memes. We're going to have um, uh, Mike Mueller, who's uh, written for us uh, for a lot of reality TV stuff. Also hosts the Cause of Champion podcast. Sean Cordy, who's a longtime writer for Pop Break, uh, who always covers South by Southwest for us. Uh, Mike Vacchiano, who is of the Bob Culture Pack podcast, also a longtime writer for the Pop Break. So they'll be making their debuts. And of course, returning to the podcast, we can't do an anniversary without our unofficial third host, Kat Manos, uh, Ben Murkison, uh, Melissa Jobin, Alex Marcus, uh, and uh, oh yeah, Ryan DeMarco. Uh, they're all back for the podcast. So we have a nice blend of old and new. Um, uh, there's some 
behind the scenes stuff that you'll hear Al doing some interviews. You'll hear me doing some interviews because Al, we didn't realize Al had a photo shoot the night we were recording. Amazing. Yeah. We're a bunch of so organized as usual. Yeah. It's just numbers. We just don't do that. But yeah, nine people each in 15 minute segments. And this this is going to be a lot of fun. I love Moneyball. It's a great movie. It's one of the best baseball movies ever made. Uh, So I am very excited that we got to talk about this highly quotable film. So, Without any further interruption, let's go into our first batter. All right, stepping up to the plate first, he is the creator of one of the greatest Twitter and Instagram accounts of all time. Uh, His name is Max Watt, but you may know him better as at Moneyball Memes. Max, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I uh, can't, uh, can't believe, thinking back, it's almost a year we've had the account going that I'd ever be talking about Moneyball on a podcast. So it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, absolutely. And I'm so, so excited to have you on. Uh, when I told my co-host that I was bringing you on, he's like, that's amazing. And I think it got him inspired to like make this a, a lot bigger than we actually planned. Cause we, we probably would have just done it. The two of us talking, but then we're like, let's get as many people that we know that love this movie. And just to talk about um, how great this movie is and, and the reasons why. So, um, you know, we're going to start with a little batting practice. And s- since you literally started an account uh, with your brother, uh, all dedicated to Moneyball and uh, memes that you both uh, create on the spot and then also take, you know, stuff that's happening within popular culture now, like when and where did you first see Moneyball? Do you remember? So the first time I saw Moneyball was uh, summer of my, I'm sorry, the fall of my senior year of high school. I was actually on an official baseball visit to Delphi University on Long Island. And it was, uh, it's funny thinking back, they were trying to get into, uh, get me into a bar on Thursday night. I did not have a fake idea at the time. So they were probably like, oh my God, what do we have to do with this kid now? So they, uh, they dragged me to the movie theater instead. And to, uh, to my luck, Moneyball just came out. And I think it was like uh, September or October of 2011. I should probably know that exact date. But, but yeah, so that was the first time I saw Moneyball. I was on my official visit uh, for a college of uh, Delphi University. Excellent. Um, and when and why did you start this uh, genius account? So my, uh, I think it's safe to say it's an obsession with Moneyball started from the start when I first saw it in the movie theaters. But over year after year, um, I've <laughs> uh, sadly purchased three separate copies of, of it on DVD because I thought I've lost it or left it at my college apartment when I was away for uh, winter break. But uh, it was, I think, New Year's Day of last year. For some reason, it probably was. Maybe I had a couple of drinks or two, but uh, <laughs> it's such a dumb reason, too. I saw a picture of Richard Jewell from the movie uh, that Clint Eastwood uh, created. Yeah. And it was like the freeze frame of like when he's shocked. And for some reason, my brain works in dumb ways. The first thing I thought of was when you see Penny on the scorecard of first base. <laughs> and so that's, I think if you go back, which you have to dig deep pretty far now. Yeah. That was the first tweet I posted. It's Richard Jewell and the caption is when you see Penny on the lineup card. And for some reason, I just kept going with it. And it was like a couple months of like no interaction. Maybe like we get like one or two. We weren't like, replying to people trying to really get it going it was a fun way for me to maybe just turn my brain off and uh exercise the different thoughts i had in my head where it kind of related everything back to moneyball 
but there is one one guy I want to give credit to. Uh, I think it was after I was watching. Um, I think John Boy Media was doing an all day broadcast, and they had Foolish Baseball on. And uh, he's a very good Twitter account to go follow. So I messaged him and I was like, "Hey, I think uh, this really dumb Twitter account that I created, I think you would enjoy. It might be up your alley." So he uh, messaged me back like a week later. He liked one of our tweets uh, and then gave us a follow. And I think that tweet, I forget exactly which one, but it jumped up like the 300, 400 likes. And oh wow, we uh, we, he, I think he's at over a hundred thousand followers. But it was very nice of him to support a very, very niche baseball movie Twitter account because. To to uh, uh, to my surprise, when I first searched Moneyball memes, I expected them there to be like ten different accounts because to me it's such a big movie. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Foolish Baseball helped out a lot with that, and also thank you to my brother Alex who helps me with the, a lot of the account, and he just does a really good job with the, everything he does. Now, what's like the like? I mean, I, I was gonna say rhyme or reason, but like what when you like each week, like, do you have like a set, like, Oh, I want to post every day or every week. Like what, is there anything to that effect? Or it's just like when an idea comes to you, like, let's get something out there. To be honest with you, we we really don't put much thought behind it. It's it's just, it's like a fun way when like I'm stressed with work or I just maybe have five minutes of downtime or my brother's uh, with, with his job is just maybe trying to get a little extra creative, creative juice going in his head. Mm-hmm. We just kind of find it as a way of, uh, you know, just kind of letting off some steam. And for some reason, it might be an article about Joey Gallo putting up, putting on his uniform in a weird way. And then we were like, all right, let's, let's do a tweet about that. And that blew up for some reason. But it's uh, there, there really is no rhyme or reason. We, we find like trending topics, but we really don't even look for that mostly. We just kind of think of really dumb ideas to maybe connect with these small market of people who really love that movie with us. And I think that's what we appreciate the most. Cause like, I, I look at sometimes like when we post something and I see a lot of the same people who've been following from day one. And it's, I mean, it's dumb of me to be like proud of that, but like, it's cool that we've built somewhat of a following um, to look back on. And there's people been supporting for a long time. And, uh, but yeah, there, there's no rhyme or reason. We just, whenever we, we kind of feel like going for something, we, we just send it out. Yeah, I find myself like if I follow a meme account, it is something that's so hyper specific, like, you know, some of my favorite shows like Parks and Rec or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or things like those kind of like NBC situational comedies or, or the the docu kind of comedies. They have these like out of context Brooklyn Nine-Nine or, or you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And I find that's some of the funniest stuff because it's so random, but like they're they're taking, you know, quotes from the show that reflect what is happening now either in popular culture or the world you know taylor swift drops an album you get a a quote from jake peralta talking about taylor swift and like that just is great it's great timing and it works that way and i and and the algorithm just feeds things like that to me um i'm finding that moneyball memes is the, kind of the same way as where you know something happens in baseball we almost had a you know a lockout and you know i'm getting fed um you know information from ESPN analyst, and then I get something from you guys. Um, what's what's been the like the most popular meme you've created thus far? I know you guys are still kind of you know young, but I, I think from the numbers standpoint, we hit uh, I think it was like twenty thousand likes. It was actually uh, I gotta give credit. Um, my buddy Matt Finelli sent me a photo of uh, it was, and it wasn't even a Moneyball thing. It was just a, it was a current topic with baseballs when Barry Bonds didn't get in to the Hall of Fame, and we posted something with a picture of John Dowd. And I had no idea 
that there is that many people who are as uh, dedicated to MVP baseball 2005. <laughs> so the like, I think we finished with like 20,000 likes on it. Uh, just for kind of sparking a memory in some people's heads because John Dabb uh, was replacing Barry Bonds uh, because he didn't allow his uh, image in, the, in that game. But I think that one did around 20,000. But my favorite my brother did was uh, the one that we have pinned at the top. And I think it truly culminates why people follow our account. It's uh, from the Joker. and the It's his therapist session. Ther- the therapist says, why do you consistently watch a two, uh, 2011 movie about the 2002 Oakland A's? And the Joker said, you just wouldn't get it. It's like, for some <laughs> reason, for some, and, and the tweets really not even the, like all, all of our tweets really aren't that funny, but like for all of us, we just have a connection to the movie that's so deep rooted. Um, and I think it just goes back to why baseball is such a great sport. You know, like you can be someone who doesn't like baseball and, and love Moneyball the movie. Mm-hmm. And for myself, I, I, it sounds dumb, but like, I, I, I really looked to that movie for a lot of different things though for perspective of like, you know, in business, just thinking outside the box. There's so many, like there's books about money ball and business now and like being the, the change that of uh, breaking the mold that's been existing. So I think there's just a deep rooted connection that people have with what's going on. Yeah. So just, just to go off that, like, you know, just because it doesn't have the most likes, most retweets, what has been maybe your personal favorite one that you've guys you guys have created so far with the account? Do you have a personal favorite? So it, the early ones, like if you really go far back, there's some really dumb ones that like just like I, I was like, it sounds really dumb, but like in the five minutes, because I what I enjoy is like some people will message us and like ask me like what like software we use for the photo editing. And mm-hmm. I literally use this free app on my phone called Photobomb. And I just make it myself. And I, honestly, I take pride in how bad the images look because like we're, this isn't our job. It's it's not us trying to be professional and doing this. It's just yeah. like, you know, like, I mean, from the grand scheme of things, we're making tweets about a niche 2011 baseball movie. But um, the early tweets, uh, I think one of the more recent ones I liked was the... Um, because I'm a big fan of Nathan for you, the one where it's him on the boat and he's pulling back the dish, says we get painted, and then it's the obviously the guy has nothing in front of him. But th- there's a lot that you can go back to. Um, I think personally, my favorite tweet is the fact that we've had multiple interactions with David Justice. It's amazing. It's it's like he he responded, he quote tweeted our tweet about the movie being uh, fake. We're not fake, but a lot of uh, inaccuracies. In the inaccuracy yeah. and that's a topic i'm very passionate about as well which i'll try to say for later but yeah. um but like just the fact that you know like the guy like i'm a i was i'm a yankee fan and like watching a guy who i remember hitting a walk-off home run in in the 2000 playoffs to get the yankees to the world series like now he's tweeting to us about being pissed off about uh false portions of a movie so it's it's just it's a wild world well let's let's get into that a little bit because we i don't think we really touched on that too much in this podcast or or will you know, does that does the inaccuracies that have come out since the release of the film take away anything for the film viewing experience for you? And is there anything that you wish was kind of added into the film? So from, from my perspective, like the one thing, like when I talk about the movie itself, right, you have to remember it's a movie produced and made in Hollywood. So if the people who are complaining about the inaccuracies of the movie, do they really want? the audience to make a movie around 
how good John Jaha was or like or Eric Chavez. Like, yeah. And like it's stuff that would never make any money for these mm-hmm. developers of the movies. So for the fans who aren't happy with that, I understand that. And the 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 one complaint that bothers me the most is that the like that they claim that Hatterberg and Rincon and Justice made them the 101 team. But one thing I highly recommend, I'm not one to do this, but read the book Moneyball after you watch the movie. Because you'll look back and you'll understand so much of the movie. And it's kind of condensed where the uh, the initial um, scene where they're all in the room with the scouts. After you read the book, you'll understand that that portion of the movie is a culmination for the most part of five years. And it's the draft, the development, and their signings and being strategic with how they go about going forward as an organization. And Peter Brand was with the A's before 2002. And obviously people are pissed off that uh, like they, they put Jeremy Giambi up on the board, even though he was on the 2001 athletics, but it's a culmination of five years in that scene. And so for the people who get frustrated, like, Oh, Scott Hatterberg didn't make them a hundred win team. The team itself was sculpted for a reason, right? You look back, it all starts in 97. Tim Hudson's drafted in the sixth round 98, uh, Mark Mulder's drafted second overall. 99, Barry Zito's drafted in the first round when he was slated to be a second-round pick. You're blowing my mind with the, with, the, with the references. This is like when I was collecting uh, baseball cards. Like, this oh, is yeah. the error. You know what I mean? I, I, I credit MLB Showdown, which is a fantastic game for, love for it. my knowledge and love of it. But uh, and even one thing I, I was blown away, Miguel Tejada came up for the A's in, in uh, 1997. Tejada. So he's five years in. So one thing I always say is this isn't a movie about the 2009 Yankees claiming that CC Sabathia came up in the system. AJ Burnett came, this, came up in the system and they drafted Mark Teixeira. This is a team that was homegrown all around. So yeah, if you, if you want to count the, like if you're claiming that justice wasn't the, the final piece that they needed, the Oakland days were a homegrown team. And that's why I really respect Billy Bean. And I've listened to a lot of his stuff because he built a franchise, not on his own, but he's willing to listen to other people and to listen to new ideas. And you also learn in the book, he's not the first one to do it. And he doesn't claim to be the first one to use these analytics. Sandy Alderson, who was his mentor, has been doing that. I and mean, if you look back at the late 80s Oakland Athletics, he did a lot of some of the Moneyball uh, stats that you don't really hear about. So when you read the book, it really opens up your eyes to a lot of the portions of the movie that you may like. Yeah, the the, the batting, uh, batting cage team with David Justice, that's Hollywood. But, you know, there's a lot of things that, are in there for a reason, but if you kind of do the reading in the book, you understand that it's it's a culmination of five years of a lot of hard work and doubt from other people. Because I think in the book you read that Zito going ninth overall was criticized heavily, and he turns out to be multiple Cy Young winner and wins multiple World Series and I think a fifteen year career. So it's uh it's interesting when you read. Also, I mean, I'm sorry for rambling on this, but no, just, you're good. I love it. Out. This is amazing to me. He also exposes the supplemental draft process where I think I forget who he trades for the second baseman from the Giants who's expiring contract. He knows he doesn't want to resign in Oakland. Billy Bean, you know, I'm saying. So he, he keeps him and he knows that no matter what offer he makes, he's going to turn it down. And I think he ended up going to the White Sox. I forget the player's name. But what he gets out of that is a supplemental first round pick. So he was the first one to really start digging in. And that's also me claiming he's the first one. So I may be very wrong with that. But uh, he utilized he, he utilized a lot of stuff, but that's why I'm so passionate about defending it. It sounds really dumb, mm-hmm. but there's a big process around the movie, and you'll understand if you read the book, and you'll really enjoy the the movie more once you 
kind of give the context of the entire process. Yeah. Just hearing like that. I mean, they had such a great pitching staff there. Like you just said, Hudson, Mulder, Zito, like mm-hmm. insane that you had those yeah. three, those three pitchers uh, on the same team in the same time frame, And like, that's crazy. And they, yeah, all homegrown. Like they were, yeah. they had such a good farm system and they, and obviously it has everything to do with being and the people around them. So um, this is like a two parter before we get into the end, but like, do, what's your favorite line in the film? And then, it could be the same thing could be different, but what's your favorite scene in the film as well? So start with the line. So uh, with, with line, my, my favorite quote uh, is extremely dumb. I think it's very fitting that, uh, <laughs> that this one's it, but a lot of people love the, how, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Mm-hmm. But for some reason I love when Pete sits down in Billy's office during the uh, uh, trading process for Rincon. Yeah, not, not even not even the, the the fist bump part but Billy Billy says to Peter we're trading for Rincon and and Jonah Hill who was fantastic in that movie and I love just says hardcore and it's such a corny line it's such a throwaway line but every time I watch the movie because he's wearing such a poorly fitted Oakland Days hat as well yes. during that time drinking like a State Farm mug for some reason and it's just such a corny throwaway line but like it just it also, from a character building perspective, like you saw in the beginning, Billy doesn't even really want to shake his hand when he first meets him. Now Peter's basically kicking back in his office, wearing fitted hats that look ridiculously silly on him. But the hardcore line always makes you laugh. And then, what about your favorite scene or best? What do you think is the best scene of the film? Either way. <laughs> um, so two things. So I think the scene where David Justice like listens, the quote unquote, listens to Billy being in the batting cage to become a better leader and talks to Hatterberg in the, the kitchen because there's so many ridiculous things to point out in that scene. And one of my friends, Ryan, loves pointing out how shallow of a bowl David Justice is eating cereal out of. And like, it's such a weird scene, like seeing so a guy who's making millions of dollars and then Hatterberg's making a cup of noodles. And I, I think it's part of the perspective they try to build with the A's that it's a organization that doesn't put a lot of money into the players. Mm-hmm. But like that scene where he's asking, what's your biggest fear? Because I think it... it speaks a lot of truth to anyone who's played the game before it's a weird thing like you love baseball so much but it's also one of the biggest things that scares the crap out of you for some reason so that's that's one of my favorite scenes but also the the scout scene uh that's fine both, both, both times they bring it up because i i love learning about it because majority of those guys in the room are actually major league baseball scouts where that's they, crazy. Brought those, they brought those guys in to train the actors to have the verbiage have the interaction but then they're like, why are we paying actors to do this? Let's just use the guys who have actually been here. Because there's a couple of guys you, you see familiar who have more of the speaking roles. But um, I love that, like, the behind baseball view of, of it. Because I'm a very big inside baseball guy. Like, I love the weird things and the weird quirks about baseball. Like, even the Rincon trade, like, teaching people that a trade goes through, but you still need to get $235,000 from your owner. You know, it's like, yeah. none of this makes sense. There's a 40-man roster. There's arbitration. <laughs> Baseball is such a dumb, fun sport with the rules yep. that it has. But that's why I love the movie, because there's so much perspective that people who don't really know the game that much can learn from. All right. And I feel like I know this answer, but I might not. Maybe I don't. For the final pitch, is Moneyball the greatest baseball slash sports movie of all time? Is it one or the other? Is it neither? How, what's, what's your feelings towards that? So... In regards to best baseball movie of all time, I say yes, because 
it covers multiple perspectives. Like I said before, for myself, I've played baseball my whole life. I love baseball. Checks off all the boxes of what I, what I want to see. I want to see inside the clubhouse. I want to see action scenes that were shot tremendously. And the, the people who made this movie did such a great job. The, the music. There's no baseball movie other than The Natural that has music that kind of sticks in your head. The the I think it's the same uh, musicians from Friday Night Lights. And it's like that background stuff in the music kind of just sticks in your head where, I mean, do you remember any music from The Sandlot? And not that that's a big thing, but it's a culmination of the movie itself. So the production level in the movie, the actors in it, actually, I think from a baseball perspective, the scenes are really good. There are some weird quirks that you're like, ah, oh, that play looked like the double play scene where uh forget who drops it there's like there's some weird things in regards to the baseball play itself but someone who hasn't watched baseball before can enjoy the movie and someone who's watched baseball their whole lives can enjoy it in regards to the best sporting movie i'm not sure about that because there's a lot of a lot of good options out there but i don't know for for my view i love seeing behind the scenes like i a lot of people don't like the movie but the movie the rookie even though it's very corny I like that. Movie. It shows you a side of baseball that you don't really see where, you know, he's on a 12 hour bus trip, staying in a motel in God knows where USA, making a phone call to his family. And, you know, it's perspectives that people think every baseball player, minor league or major league, or, I mean, major leaguers do get paid well, but minor leagues are a grind and it's a process. And I think that's a portion of the movie where, you know, he goes to McNa- uh, Mike McNaughty and tells him he's getting cut. You know, it's like, that's the business and, and results of baseball, right? You can't be emotional as Billy Bean's role in, in baseball itself. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but it's baseball movie. It's definitely the best baseball movie of all time. And I will fight to the end with that. I totally agree. Well, there's rich teams, there's poor teams, there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. But above all else, there's Moneyball memes. Max, thank you so much for joining us on Socially Distance. It was a pleasure to meet you. Hope to have you back soon. Maybe we could do some sort of sports-related movie podcast, and we'll get you on again. But uh, thanks again for for the time and uh, joining us. I appreciate having me on. And once again, thank you to my brother, Alex. He's a great help, and he's a fantastic mind. So sincerely, thank you for having me on now. Absolutely. And now stepping up to the plate, a senior writer for thepopbreak.com, a regular and original on the Bob Culture podcast, making his socially distanced debut, but definitely not the last time you'll hear from him on this podcast this year, Mr. Michael Vacchiano. Vacchiano. I love that. The echo with that. Very, very uh, Mr. Uh... Ken Anderson from for WU fans out there. I really appreciate that. Well, Mike, thank you so much for, for coming on. We're here talking about Moneyball. Of course, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a little batting practice first. Just, just okay. kind of get you, just get you nice, loose, and a little limber. Uh, okay. So when and where did you see, for the first time, Moneyball? Uh, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was watching it with my mommy and daddy. <laughs> okay yeah you know my dad loves baseball he always has every single baseball movie the natural you know major league all that kind of stuff so yes so when it's hanging for a time for money ball i'm like okay and as i was watching not the biggest brad Pitt fan i admit so i was intrigued i heard good things and uh 
just watching. I'm like, this is really interesting. This is a baseball movie with like really not a lot of actual baseball. No, there is and, not. Now, what now? Did you see it in theater or did you did you rent it? No, we actually we rented it. Yeah, we rented it home. So, uh, we'd love didn't to have any peanuts this. or cracker jacks with that, but it was okay. But <laughs> we love to always hear that people still rent stuff. So, all right, that's a nice little warm like up. Ten years ago, it was after it got like first on DVD. So yeah, it was about ten years ago, way before streaming was the norm. But yeah. But- we got you in that first. We got you. We got you a nice little warm up. You you dinged it to the outfield. I, I like what you did there. Let's get into your first <laughs> question. So uh, Jonah Hill, this was he, he scored his first Oscar nomination oh, yeah. for his role as Peter Brand um, at the time. Kind of a little bit of a controversial choice because you know we knew Jonah Hill is the guy from Superbad and uh, the guy who needed to desperately buy those shoes uh, in Forty Year Old Virgin because um, uh, he was a known comedic actor. Uh, in hindsight, also, um, um, Aldous knows number one super fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the <laughs> podcast where I got so drunk talking about Rob, I don't even remember the podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. In hindsight, when we look at this role and we you know we've seen him go on to do other dramatic roles since. Do you think this is Jonah Hill's best performance of his career to date? It's definitely his like understated performance because he doesn't have like that big scene, that big moment. I mean, maybe if you want to talk about when he finally gets to help um, uh, Billy Bean do the negotiating towards the trade deadline, he has to do that. You know, the big moment. Yes. The big, that's like the memeable moment. Yes. But no, I mean, I always love it when actors try like go out, you know, just to get out of their comfort zone and Jonah Hill, obviously known for comedy, super bad. And, um, knocked up all those kind of like apatow and everything but um this was a great role for him because i totally i bought him as like you know a little bit of an analytics nerd the baseball nerd who was like such a fan of the game but you know still just like a fan like you still see him as a you know on the fence like this watching the games everything like that just really getting into it and uh you know, it was a very, like you said, a very understated performance, very mellow. It didn't have as loud shouting things, you know, it does. And I think it's genuinely a great performance. And he, to go toe to toe or, you know, step up to the plate, as you would say, One would with say. Brad Pitt, superstar, and still do a great job and kills him. And not to mention Philip Seymour Hoffman, God rest his soul, one of his last big major parts and performances. That's that's no easy it's no easy feat for anybody for a comedic actor to do that, yeah definitely. And uh, Wiz hates his best. Ugh. I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is yeah. You know, that was my choice. I uh, look, it's yeah. I mean, two completely different types of roles. Obviously, sidekick to like a big name, and uh, but I, interesting fact. I know Wolf. I'm, I'm sorry, Moneyball was like his audition tape to get. For Martin Scorsese to get Wolf of Wall Street, and now he's not doing that. Now he's going to play Jerry sure. Garcia yeah. in a movie like he's like writing, but also like he like pitched uh, uh, Scorsese for, which yeah. is which is pretty wild. It is cool because Scorsese's done like so many like, concert films and uh, musical documentaries. This is going to be his first like, musical biopic, and the fact that he's going to be Jerry Garcia, and I'm like, I totally could buy him with the scruffy. Yeah, totally, totally. But as far as Moneyball goes, I would say this is. His first foray into major drama and the fact that he got an Oscar Oscar nomination. Yeah, totally deserved. And like I said, I love it when actors try new stuff. And this was a new thing for him. He did a great job. 
keeping with Peter Brand, do you believe his ideas about baseball, the money ball of it all, do you think it's helped or hurt the game of baseball as we know it today? Obviously, uh, we're, just, we're just coming off a strike. I know this could be a, an hour podcast yeah. question on its own, but in your, <laughs> your best pod, you know, in your, in your bat here, we're on a pitch count. So what do you think? Has it helped or has it hurt? You know, it's it's interesting because you since then we've seen like, you know, in other sports, you saw the Detroit Pistons and basketball, no real huge, you know, no huge super names go in there and do it. Uh, obviously, baseball, but baseball is more of the sport where it's like, you know, there's not to be a lot of superstars. You've got nine guys working together to put together a championship team. You don't need some big money salaries and everything like that. So. Was it sabermetrics? Sabermetrics. Yeah, I mean, the numbers don't lie in a way, but we all like to say, like, when we're seeing players come up or they're getting ready, like, obviously now it's uh, getting ready for the NFL draft. Is it like, oh, this guy's got so much talent. This guy's got so much ability. Does it mean they're going to be awesome at the pro level? You don't know. Just like with whole Billy Bean's whole story. Right. So, I don't know. I think I might say when you got that natural talent, you can do it. But it doesn't mean like for baseball, you're gonna win. The, you're gonna win the game yourself. So if you can get nine guys who cost maybe half as much combined as like a megastar, yeah, you're probably gonna win the games more. And like Peter Brandt said, you're not trying to win. You know, you're not trying to win. You know, fans or superstars. You're trying to win games. That's what you want to do to win championships. And with your minuscule budget compared to like the Yankees and Red Sox, these are guys who I think. Didn't win either championship. Didn't win a championship. They had that 20-game win streak. Yep. Which I'm sure we're going to talk about next. Uh, no, my next question is... Oh, that was the other question. Would you have traded Pena? Would I have traded Pena? Because uh, had he to start, man. But they, you know, of course, Howe didn't want him. So would you have made the deal to trade? Well, if we talk about real life, it's like, would I have sold Chris Pratt when his career was just starting out, knowing what he'd become no, no, now? I, no, I mean, I know, I mean I know. the actual. I mean the actual move, man. Like, would you I have know. traded um, Carl, uh, Pena? Me myself, probably not, because like, I'm not much of a risk taker in real life. People know me about that. And if I had a guy who like, oh, this was a lost season for the Oakland A's and everything like that. But yeah, this one kid, Carl's Pena, who is putting on to be a really good first baseman, one shining star, one guy who's probably bringing fans in, but. <clears throat> I probably wouldn't have traded Pena, but I'm too much of a wimp, but I'm not, I don't have that cocky swag that, you know, Brandon Bean slash Brad Pitt would have had to do that. Yeah. Or to go into, you know, Hoffman's office, or was it, was the Art Howe? Was it Art Howe? Art Howe, yeah. Art Howe. And just be like, oh yeah, by the way, you're not starting Pena, got rid of him. We're going with Scotty H. So let's talk about that 20th game against Kansas City. Um, what did you think about uh, Bennett Miller's, the director, his decision yeah. to um, really manipulate sound in the scene? Uh, like, it was a lot of it was done in silence. How, yeah. did, how did, what did you think? Do you think that adds to the drama or was that just an, un, like, overly artistic and wasn't as needed because how can you not get romantic about baseball, right? Of course. Like, you know, when you think of musical cues, you got to think of Robert Redford dun, 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 with the natural when he cracks that first home run 
the major, you know, like I said, I'm a major league fan, but uh, you're not going to see Chief Wahoo for a while. <laughs> no, but as far as the, this Commander scene Wahoo. itself, when Scott E.H. hits that home run, it gets silent. The crowd cheers, kind of like volume goes up and down a little bit, and it goes to the sinks of the background. And then you hear like that, right when you like, they get it. Yep. It's just very understated. And, that's, and the funny thing is, that's also the most or if the only baseball on like on field baseball action you yes. see in that whole movie, which was the very critical true. moment. It's very true. And seeing that elation and even seeing like Art Howe say like, you know, hey, Scotty, go ahead, do it. You're up. Let's go. And he's kind of like getting into it. And seeing Billy Bean in the back, kind of like, you know, arms crossed and kind of like almost like well teared in his eyes because he's like, we did it. I almost screwed it up. And you see like uh, Jonah Hill, you know, it's just, it was a good moment just because, you know, you don't get a lot of big, you don't get huge like on field montages in this movie. You don't get any of that really. No. No. I mean, there's some real life footage I remember they mixed in, but. As far as this goes, as far as those big, like, grand scale, this is as grand as it gets. It's when that one shot walk off Homer after letting up nine runs. But yeah. <laughs> Absurd. Uh, all right, Mike, we are getting into your final pitch, which is, oh, okay. and this is a big one. Love and outside. A number of ba- you've never mentioned a number of baseball movies already. Is Moneyball your favorite slash the greatest baseball? <sighs> movie of all time i'm not gonna say sports because that's a little too much but it's one of the greatest ba- is it the greatest baseball movie of all time yeah sports is i think too broad baseball can narrow it down a little bit like i've actually talked about the natural we'll talk about major league and everything like that but i don't say it's the best it's cool because it shows it from a different side about a little bit more of like the business part of it that you don't normally see about you know you talked about like salary caps and everything like that or i mean that's for nfl and baseball, there's none, and there's a different contracts. And but you know, for smaller markets, you don't have those big money deals. And that's what was cool about it. You can still put together championship teams with small money deals. I like that part of it. But is it my favorite baseball movie of all time? I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say yes. I do have a soft spot for the Sandlot. Well, if yeah. you want to count that as a baseball film, I, and I do baseball movie. Come on, because I love the fact I love all the kids. I love the whole thing, like summer and friendship and back at the time when, you know, yeah, baseball is not, you know, they say it's not as popular with younger kids nowadays as basketball and football. But, you know, they're talking about it in the 60s or anything like that. when kids just got together in some dirt lot and threw the ball around and became friends. And, you know, that whole thing about bringing it together and. A little bit more of an innocent time. Baseball had that, just going out and playing catch. And Sandlot to me is just all kinds of awesome. Well, Mike, I would go with Sandlot. Mike, for your first uh, for your first time on socially distance, I have to say you have earned yourself a free soda. We will not be Ooh. charging you for the soda. So thank you so <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, man. We will be seeing Mike, uh, I'm sure, down the road on a whole bunch of review series that we have coming up. So, Mike, you did good (laughs) and you earned yourself a soda. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you, Bill. Take care. (laughs) 
stepping up to the plate as I have my uh, my uh, my co-manager here, uh, Sophie Bodkin, on screen. Um, she's stepping up to the plate, a senior writer for thepopbreak.com, one half of the comedy duo Warm Things, the Philly Fanatics' number one fan. Follow her on Twitter as we've all dubbed it the greatest Twitter handle of all time, at Asthma Squad. Melissa Jobin, welcome back to the Socially Distanced Podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I know it's only 15 minutes, but yeah, we we have we're 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 getting you in for you know just you know your solo at bat. Thanks, pal. Yeah, good. I don't sorry. Sorry, I'm I'm getting reports <laughs> in from the from the bench. So Melissa, let's start out with a little batting practice. Uh, so this is of course just a, a nice little lob question for you. So when and where did you first see Moneyball? Uh, I actually only saw it within the last year, I think. I saw it last summer. There was like a day where the, the Mets didn't have a game, and I was I was looking for something baseball-related to do, so I watched Moneyball for the first time. Yes, you are a huge baseball fan, so that's why I'm very happy to have you on because my first question is very – it's barely a movie-related question, but it's a total baseball question. Actually, most of my questions here are like – do you hate Chris Pratt? And here's baseball questions <laughs> is was Peter brand wrong about Johnny Damon? Remembers that there's a scene where he's just like, you don't need Johnny Damon. He's not going to be that good. Well, Johnny Damon had a pretty damn long career, you know, almost 3000 hits over a thousand RBIs, a couple hundred home runs, won a world series with uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees. Very few people can say that. So was Peter brand wrong about Johnny Damon or do you think he was right? Was wrong. Not only was he wrong, I feel like the movie, like the way that I interpret that character in that movie is he is a villain. I I see him as a villain. <laughs> yes, this is why I wanted you on the podcast. Great. Why is Peter Brand a villain? And is it because the real life guy he was based on was with the Mets and did a terrible job? No, no. Okay. It's because I, I personally am not a huge fan of sabermetrics and, and, and the whole like focus on analytics as opposed to like, I don't know. I, I think that he's a villain because I mean, he said, Johnny, he said, you're better off without Johnny Damon. That's, I mean, history will tell you to put that scene in the movie and have that be like a big scene where he's like, I, I know what I'm talking about. Like he didn't know what he was talking about. And it's crazy to me that, you know, the movie didn't really, uh, it, it leads you to believe that this man's idea was the right idea, but it wasn't. I mean, I, what is that line he has in that scene? He says something about players. Oh, like, oh, the game's not about players. It's about, it's not about buying players. It's about buying wins. wins yeah. No, it's about players. It's about individual personalities and accomplishments and abilities and, I don't believe I'm not a big fan of sabermetrics. So yes, he was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. He was okay. wrong. So this is great because the next question for me is: Would you have stuck with Scott Hatter? Would you have gone with Hatterberg, or were you sticking with Pena? Because our last Mike, who was just up before you, said he wouldn't have made the Pena trade. I wouldn't have either. I mean, but the thing is, is like the way that I would see it, I would have, I would have liked to have them both. I mean, I understand he traded him so that there you couldn't use him. Like he was he was kind of calling the manager's bluff a little bit with that, but I would have kept them both. And I would have, I would have had, I would have, I would have given Hattie a chance. I liked the, I liked the approach that I do like the idea of like, 
he can't really throw anymore. So he can't be a catcher. Let's put him in first base. Like that's, I like that, you know, but I would have kept, I would have kept Pena. I would have, I would have tried to have them both play alternating games or something. There's is a DH for a reason. I, I, I want to also, one other thing I want to bring up that I it was not in the questions I prepared for you, though, was there are a lot of players they don't talk about, like uh, Tim Hudson and Eric Chavez, who are, had played out of their minds that year. Do you think that took away from, like, do you think that took away from the film? It was like, hey, you had a lot of really other good players that you don't mention at all, and you just focus on, like, Hatterberg and Jeremy Giambi, the late Jeremy Giambi now. <laughs> And like David Justice, do you think that's? Yeah, I think the, the the angle of that movie was a little, you know, it was very much about like that storyline about the using the players who the, I they, they kind of like making all of the, them seem like underdogs, and you know maybe they were, but you know they're still baseball players, they're still MLB athletes, like they all can play, like you know. But this isn't me. They brought in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 it wasn't like they, you know, like the. I, I also like the movie The Replacements. It's a football movie, oh. but I like The Replacements. Yeah. Like, it's not like you went and found, you know, a, a fucking Welsh soccer player, and we're like, you're kicker, you know, like, yeah. yeah, like they were, they they could play, like we knew that. So, I mean, yeah, I do think it's a little, you know, I I think it is a little messed up that they didn't focus on the the other guys too because they were there they they just because they didn't fit into the Moneyball story it's kind of weird we uh, chris pratt is a, a butt of a lot of jokes these days uh whether earned or not earned that's a podcast for another day so this is pre star lord pre me him being famous and fighting dinosaurs and stuff uh which is just a weird sentence in itself um what do you think of his performance here? Because he would, he's that guy who's, he's like the guy who's jumped out the most like Pitt and Jonah Hill and Philip Seymour Hoffman were the names. This was a guy who was like, you've seen him on TV before in bit parts. Now he's like a megastar. Does he work in the role of Scotty H? Um, you know, I, I think because I saw the movie within the last year. So I already have my preconceived notions of Chris Pratt. I don't think that it, it, it really did anything for me. I think maybe if I had seen it when it came out, I would have felt differently because I mean, I did like parks and recreation and I would have, you know, if I had seen the movie in those days, I probably would have been like, this is so exciting. Like, look at him. He's a big movies guy now, but, um, I thought he was fine. Um, he wasn't bad. He wasn't like, a breakout star in my opinion but i i don't know it's hard to say because i you know i already feel the way i do about him so the second he came on the screen i'm like there he is you know <laughs> you're like oh christ <laughs> this guy again and when you say christ you're like oh there's the joke right there um <laughs> what is it about like okay we've talked about originally i was gonna say what doesn't work in the film for you and we just know that sabermetrics and some of the angles what does work for this for you in this film you know, I think as a as a as a as a baseball film, um, like a it's more of a film about like the the front office, or it's more of a film about like the way that that baseball is run as a business than it is about like the game itself, um, which I don't like about it. I'm saying that's the thing I don't like, but what I do like about it is that it does give like the average person more insight into that a little bit. And I think, especially like we're talking about this right now, like 
um, the lockout that just happened. Yeah. I think that like there is some insight to be gained from the movie about like how you know the negotiations went with like owners and and the, like just the way that front office and the way that the people behind the scenes like talk about baseball and talk about baseball players within within the you know yeah. because yeah. like they like like I said Jonah Hill's character is like oh it's not about buying players it's about buying wins and it's like you're just looking at these athletes these individual people as like numbers and stats in your excel spreadsheet you know like it sucks but that is the way that it is and i like that this movie kind of shined a light on it even though the movie didn't explicitly say that it was bad but it's still no other movie has shown you that i don't think if you were billy bean would you have taken the job with the red Sox? no um why not okay so yeah it was a lot of money right but I don't think he would have – I'm not to say that it was luck, especially because the Red Sox stole the whole system and then ended up winning the World Series with it a couple years later. I don't think Billy Bean personally was, like, that smart and, like, that I, – I don't think that he specifically was why it worked. And I think that if he had gone to Boston, it probably wouldn't have worked as well and it might have tainted his career and he might have ended up, you know, coming back home with his tail between his legs. I don't think that it would have been like a huge success story. Um, because Oakland really wasn't either. They've it wasn't really, the movie ends with him not accomplishing anything. Yeah. And he know? doesn't, he, I don't think, do they ever, they don't ever get to the World Series. They still have. Not, not since, that I know of, no. Since the Bash brothers, really. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think they have. And also, you know, he wanted to be near his daughter. Yeah, that 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 storyline is very tacked on, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's just like here's this song we're gonna keep repeating, and I'm just like, but did that did that work for you? Like, because for me, I'm like, no. this, this doesn't matter. No, <laughs> all this stuff with his daughter, I'm like, okay, I, I get what you're trying to, you know, humanize. Yeah, but you know, you didn't have to. I mean, it's not that important. But yeah, it was a very strange thing that they had with her. Heard that little song and. She's like trying to be a singer, song, or I don't know what was going on with that. Spike Jones is randomly her stepdad. It's <laughs> on with this part of the movie. Uh, so the final pitch, uh, Melissa, we could probably do this for another hour, is um, is Moneyball, in your opinion, the greatest or your favorite baseball movie of all time? And if not, what is? It's definitely not. Um, I mean, it's an interesting movie. It's a uh... It's kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say that it's like an Oscar bait kind of movie, but it's more of like a, you know, a film than it is a baseball movie. You know, like baseball movies are supposed to be fun. And I didn't have more baseball in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Moneyball was a, was a good movie. It was a, it was a good story, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of baseball and it wasn't very exciting to watch in that way. I would say, I, I honestly think, and I haven't seen it in a while, but I would say that my favorite baseball movie is probably Major League. I mean. So good. I know. Like, it, I, that movie has a lot of baseball in it. That movie is a fun baseball movie to watch. You see a lot of stuff going on, and, like, there's scenes of them in spring training and stuff. Like, I, that's a fun one to watch. And League of Their Own. A League of Their Own has a lot of, is, awesome. a, is, a, is a fun, and also, I mean, The Sandlot, but. Yeah, that was um, Mike's answer too. Sad yeah, yeah. I, I, 
personally i think mine is major league and also it's the one that i watched the most like i used to like it used to play on comedy central all the time all the time i used every time i caught it on i would just watch the whole thing um i think the, yeah the best scene I, what's the best scene because uh I, I i had a real fast pitch count there so what's your fa- favorite scene in major league because the one that gets me is the tom berenger I got no knees left, bunt, and he's just like <laughs> puffing it out. And there's, you know, Renee Russo over there. I was just like, I'm not famous yet, guys, but don't worry. I'm going to be real huge one day. And she, he's like running and he does the sacrifice. He get he, he ends up beating the throw and they beat the Yankees. Even though I'm a Yankees fan. Uh, and it's like that to me, that's the best moment in the movie. What's your favorite part of it? Incredible moment. It's, it's when, uh, it's when Charlie Sheen goes out on the mound with his glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> who knew we'd be listening to that song every wednesday for wrestling uh right? so oh, right do you know i mean you probably knew john moxley when he made that when he made wild thing his entrance music he didn't realize that the um that, the, that, that was a cover and that the original has like a flute solo he came out to so for yeah, this has turned into a wrestling podcast now. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there's the whole thing. He's fighting Yuji Nagata, which everyone's like dream match. He comes out the wild thing, I'm like oh that's cool. And then it's like this flute interlude, and you actually see him go, "What the fuck am I listening?" He's like, "What is this song? I didn't pick this." Yeah, every apparently everyone thought it was hilarious that he was just like this tough this tough guy who's just like, "All right, here's a whistle playing during my song." So Melissa. Do you are your New York Mets going to make the playoffs this year? They have a great manager now. They have a great manager now. They have, I mean, is there a better pitching rotation? Uh, in in that, like, does anyone have a? I mean, I Scherzer so. and Degrom, and the together. and the guy and the guy Billy Beans t- crew sent to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't remember his name. What's uh, Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So you have three great starting pitchers again. Yeah. Uh, um. I. I. And also, after the lockout, they reached the one of the things that they agreed on was that the there are going to be more teams in the playoffs this year. Yeah. So, um, statistically, I don't think the Mets won't make it to the playoffs. I think it's impossible that they won't. Um. They're also the currently they're the most bet on team to win the World Series. So. Well, Melissa, uh, you know, at our last batter, got a free soda out of it. But listen, what I'm saying is you we're giving you the it's the bottom of the ninth inning. We're giving you the bat. You knocked it out of the park. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to be seeing you again some point this year, I promise. So, again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping up to the plate, he is a freshly haircutted man. His mustache is refined and trimmed. He is also the podcast editor of thepopbreak.com, the co-host of the Cinema Joe's podcast, Bill versus the MCU, and TV Break. Follow him on Twitter, at Media Thinkings, Alex Marcus. Welcome wow. to what an intro. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to our Moneyball podcast. So, in episode 100, and thank you for being such a driving force uh, for this podcast for 100 episodes, my friend. Absolutely, I'm very happy to be here. 
So let's 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 stretch the limbs here a little bit. Let's let's get a, a little bit of batting practice in. Why don't we? So when and where did you first see Moneyball? So I actually saw Moneyball in an advanced screening two weeks before it was released to the public uh, in New York City. Uh, it was when I was living in, in the city while I was in college, uh, actually my senior year of college. And at the time I was subscribed to this, uh, this service where you could get access to early screenings of movies, um, if you were lucky. Uh, and yeah, I got these tickets and I went with a friend of mine from school and I had to go all, it was, I lived on the West side and it was all the way on the other side of the Island, uh, which is not easy to get to, um, a lot easier to go up and down Manhattan than it is across, but it was worth it. Uh, I was very excited for this. Listen, it's better be, than being traded from Oakland to the Phillies just because you don't know how to act in a locker room. But <laughs> Alex, we're going to be talking about this, and you're at bat, is we're going to be talking about uh, Bunnyball and the Oscars. Of course, the Oscars coming up this weekend or past this weekend, whatever this podcast drops. So initially, uh, well, not initially, the second director attached to this film was Steven Soderbergh before Bennett Miller replaced him. Now, would you have preferred Soderbergh to direct this film? And if so, why? I would have. This is a movie that I like. I think I like it a lot. I don't love it, though. And I did spend years uh, ahead of the movie's release following its development very closely. And what Steven Soderbergh wanted to do with this movie sounded bananas and in a really fun and interesting way. He really wanted to take this book, which is, you know, it's a nonfiction book. It's basically just kind of reporting about how uh, one person kind of used statistics to uh, make a baseball team more efficient, which is pretty dry material, as you could imagine. And Soderbergh's whole idea was like, well, we're going to make the most experimental, innovative drama you've ever seen. And he was he co-wrote the he was co-writing the screenplay with Steve Zalian. And it was going to be like this hybrid between like re- like documentary and narrative he was going to have the players play themselves in the movie and it was going to have like weird sort of like uh like animated elements to it and it just it sounded really cool and exciting and what we got was a way safer down the middle uh double and i would have liked to see somebody swing for the fences with this one so one of the things Alex mentioned about animated, they actually wanted an animated version of Bill James who came up with like the sabermetric system that uh, Peter Brandt, um, you know, introduces essentially to Billy Bean. Who's, who is actually Paul D. Podesta, but Paul D. Podesta, who he did not want to be on the film. <laughs> he did not Paul want his Podesta, name attached. Who, uh, we talked with Melissa just at the batter before us about how like who she can claim that Peter Brandt was the, of the villain of the film, which I would love for you to hear back. Yeah. It's a very oh. interesting theory. Um, but let's get into the Oscar talk. Um, yes. This was nominated for six Oscars. Um, do you think that they didn't win any? So was this, was this film snubbed at the, the awards or were some of these just kind of like, as we see sometimes, a whole bunch of you know something from a film a whole bunch of people get nominated you're like yeah we could have yeah someone better could have been nominated that year 
Yeah, so when we talk about Oscar snubs, we have to talk about it in a two-tier conversation, right? We have the people getting snubbed for nominations and then the people getting snubbed for wins. So yeah. as far as nominations go, I think this movie did pretty well. Yes, uh, there aren't a whole lot of places where you would have wanted to see them pop up where they didn't. The biggest one, well, like a smaller one, I would say, is maybe like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is fantastic in this movie in a pretty underrated uh, role. He's yeah. he's very he's very low key, but he and it would be very easy to watch this movie and not notice what a great performance it is. But it is a great performance. Um, and you know the uh, best supporting actor feels that year was kind of filled with a lot of uh, random performances in a lot of ways, but that was primarily because of the fact that Christopher Plummer for Beginners was going to win basically from the start of the season. So he had no, the the likelihood of a movie like Moneyball getting two nominations in the same category is pretty low. Like uh, the acting branch has to really love your movie to do that. And I don't think that the love was quite that strong, but I think even if it was uh, Paul, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was not going to get that that last spot anyway, because if so, anybody was going to be missing and getting replaced, it would probably be Albert Brooks for Drive, who everyone really thought had a really strong chance of getting nominated on Oscar morning and were surprised to see him not make it. So I don't think that Philip Seymour Hoffman was getting in there. Uh, when we were talking about uh, the bigger snub for categories, we would obviously look at director, right? This yeah. is... Moneyball was nominated for Best Picture. It was many people's favorite film of the year. So the fact that it didn't get a director nomination really from the start let everyone know, okay, well, it's not going to win Best Picture. So you could say that Bennett Miller deserved it. I don't think that he really did. I mean, to really be fair about that, you have to look at who was nominated in that category. Um, and I do have that with me because I came prepared. So you That's have uh, you on, man. That's why you're in that. That's why you're in the cleanup spot, man. That's why I wanted you there. Well, that's great. I'm happy to hear it. Uh, so, like, you have Michelle uh, has a vicious who directed the artist, which was the like that's runaway great. sensation of the Oscars that year. Which is just now ten over ten years later, you just look back and you're like, what? Why? How? But in do the we, moment, do we do we go back and watch that film ever? No. No. I mean, I think most people have forgotten that it even existed. But in the moment, there was nothing bigger, or it was a runaway freight train, especially and like cresting in award season two. So. He was going to get nominated. Uh, Alexander Payne for The Descendants. That was the early season favorite for Best Picture before the artist exploded was The Descendants. So Alexander Payne was always going to be here. Then there's Hugo, which was directed by Martin Scorsese. Obviously, Scorsese is going to get here. Scorsese, many people thought, well, maybe he could actually get in there. Maybe he could win a second Oscar with that because it was this like love letter to cinema. And they took this like little tiny book and they they blew it out into this huge epic family film with like this innovative technology. And so people really thought there was a chance. And of course, Woody Allen made Midnight in Paris. That was basically his best movie in like a decade. So he was definitely not going to get bumped. Uh, Less said about him now, the better, but you know, 2011 was a different time. (laughs) 
And then Terrence Malick got in there for Tree of Life, which was the kind of art house film of the year. Uh, it was certainly one of my favorite films. I can tell by Bill's face that it was not one of his it's one favorite of my films. It's all-time least favorite films. I don't know how you don't love a movie where uh, you it's primarily about the growing up of a small boy in the Midwest, but also uh, features the birth of the dinosaurs. I just I mean, how do you not love that? <laughs> the audacity of it alone. Uh, but I mean, what I would say is that's another there are probably there are probably a couple people in that director field that you could remove. Right. right. But if you did, I wouldn't have Bennett Miller in there. In fact, I actually have a list of six people that I would put ahead of him. Uh, Oscar Farhadi for A Separation, which is one of the best films of the decade. Really great Iranian film. Oh, okay. Okay. D. Reese for Pariah, which is a really, really excellent coming-of-age LGBTQ film that's just uh, very undersung in the time, but I think the more people watch it, the more they really respect it. And D. Reese is such a great talent who... Uh, his her film Mudbound a couple years later oh, yeah. would get some Oscar attention, but this really deserved it as well. There's Abbas uh, Karastami for Certified Copy, which is this really excellent uh, film that we don't have time to talk about now, but it's really good and people should check it out. Uh, Lynn Ramsey's We Don't Need uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, really good movie. She's a really talented act uh, director who sadly is no longer with us, and it feels like we really missed the chance to honor her with this. Nicholas Winding Refn for Drive. You know, I mean, that was such a huge film. That was such a great moment in cinema. And he, I don't think he's ever going to make anything as good as that again. So that was a missed opportunity. And then Kenneth Lonergan for Margaret, which is, I mean, there's, we could talk about that movie for hours, uh, but it is an achievement. And uh, the year that it finally was released after being delayed for many years, definitely he could have been honored. So I would put all of those people ahead of Bennett Miller in which, which, so for me, it is not an unfair snub that he was not direct uh, nominated for director. Now, in terms of wins, you know, the two main places where they really could have won that they didn't was adapted screenplay, which, you know, Aaron Sorkin obviously was co-writer of this screenplay. He had just won for the social network and adapted screenplay the year before. So the likelihood of him repeating is pretty low. And, you know, the descendants is the one that ended up winning. And that, like I said, they were the front runner for best picture for a long time. So it was a pretty tall order for them to beat, uh, to come up and beat them. And I think if it wasn't going to be the descendants, it probably would have been Hugo or Tinker Taylor soldier spy ahead of Moneyball. again, just because Sorkin had just won. So it would have had to have been a real achievement for him to get it in back to back years. And I don't think that Moneyball is as good as it is anything close to what the social network is in terms of an achievement of, of screenwriting. So I, think I don't think we're going to get that there. I think it was up for sound and uh, there's some sound mixing. I think that was up for, I want to say it didn't get nominated for sound, which is ridiculous because I just, just talked before one of our batters was our guests. I should just say that <laughs> the whole, the Kansas city game, that whole thing, how they play with sound, I think is incredible and adds to such drama to that film. Yeah, but the Oscars only really nominate a couple of things for sound. They're either going to be, it could be a a musical, it could be a war film, it could be like a racing movie, like, but that's pretty much it. They're very narrow in their consideration for sound awards usually, so I'm not super surprised to see that not happen. The big place where I think that it really could have won, and where I think in hindsight I wish it had, is in lead actor. I mean, we thought that whole season that we were going to be getting a Brad Pitt versus George Clooney lead actor, uh, face off. Right. 
That's right. George Clooney was the lead of The Descendants, and it was like, oh, it's going to be the two of them. And Brad Pitt kind of had in his back pocket that he was also in the Tree of Life that year. And so it was like a lot of the times when it comes to Oscars, sometimes it even happened to Brad Pitt, right? Brad Pitt won finally for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but he also had another film earlier in the season that didn't quite gain enough traction to get him a nomination, but it helped contribute to that ultimate win as like a body of work kind of thing. Was that so, one called again? Uh, it was, he has to save his dad, Tommy Lee Jones, Jones from yeah. Titan or whatever, but I, Jupiter, but I forget the name of it now. I loved it. I forget. Yeah. Um, Ad Astra. That's what it was called. Ad Astra. That's right. I yeah. was just so, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A great, a great movie about fathers and sons. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I really, I think that ultimately instead the, the lead actor for the artist kind of swoop, swooped in and, and won. And I think that is kind of an embarrassing win in retrospect. And I really think we should have gotten a Brad Pitt Oscar for this. Cause this is such a commanding kind of Hollywood movie star performance that he's just excellent in. And I think it's okay that he got his Oscar where he did for what he did. But I think this would have been much more indicative of some of the best things about him as a performer. So that's, I think, the biggest miss that this movie had in terms of Oscars. That was Jean de Jardin, du Jardin, I should say. Yes. Um, and I haven't been drinking this since sleep last night. Um, so, well, you know those French names. <laughs> I do, yeah. Listen, uh, do you think this is Brad Pitt's best performance ever? best perform i think it's maybe his best lead performance ever i think he's really really great in a number of uh, supporting roles over the years you know from like 12 monkeys to burn after reading, reading. you know to the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford yeah. like he's got he really has a lot of range when it comes to supporting True but man. this might be his best lead role uh, let's give you the final pitch, Alex. And it's going to come right down the middle because I think I already know the answer to this. Is Moneyball, in your opinion, the greatest slash your favorite baseball movie of all time? And if not, what do you think it is? As I know you were one time a diehard baseball fan. I, I was at one time, for a long time ago, but for a very long amount of time, I was. And then it, it fell by the wayside. Uh, but yes, uh, Oh, well, actually, before I answer that question, I do also want to say that Jonah Hill got nominated for Best Supporting Actor here, and many people were surprised by that at the time because it was like, oh, he's just like this guy from the Apatow movies, like this seems kind of like him stepping up. And uh, I don't think it's his best performance ever. It's definitely a good performance from a, like, this is a movie you should take me seriously. A lot of the times when actors who are known for comedies try to be like, and now take me seriously as a dramatic actor, like those parts are are horrific and like huge misses. Uh, Here, I think that it's a good performance, but it's not his best. I think that The Wolf of Wall Street Street. is his best. And second best is probably him playing himself in This is the End, which is just really, really excellent. Oh my God, what a movie. what when movie. he prays to God and he's like, God, it's me, Academy Award nominee Jonah Hill. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's excellent. So, Alex, get it back to, to answer your, yeah, to answer your actual pitch, question. After fouling and pitch off, we're going to go one more time. Final pitch. <laughs> is this the greatest or your favorite baseball movie of all time? If not, what this is, is not my favorite baseball movie of all time, shockingly enough. And I'm going to I'm going to give you a curveball with this one, because my favorite uh, baseball movie of all time is Richard Linklater's 2016 film. Everybody wants some, which is a movie that doesn't actually feature any baseball, but it is about a baseball team coming together the weekend before college starts and kind of gelling as a team and and learning who they are as people and it's a really excellent movie and it 
captures the camaraderie of what baseball teams are supposed to be and among many other things so uh, it's a little bit cheating in the sense that they don't actually play any baseball games and it's not quite a sports movie but it is about a baseball team and it is my favorite film about a baseball team so that's what i'm going with well i mean if you think about it there's barely any baseball played in this movie so i mean you know what if it's about baseball it's still a baseball movie to me so alex uh <laughs> listen we're not trading you to the phillies you know what you're you're gonna be you're, you're gonna be you're gonna be coming out of the pen to close things out we're not it's not gonna be that other guy you're our you're our closer man so thank you so for, much. for a second i thought you were gonna trade me for uh, a stocked pepsi uh machine so no 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 i trust me there's someone else who's gonna get traded for that thank you <laughs> Our next batter stepping up to the plate is a senior writer for the popbreak.com, the number one Washington Commanders fan in our hearts. And you can follow him on Twitter at BD Merchinson. Mr. Ben Merchinson, how are you today? I am doing well. Thanks so much. I'm uh, in the middle of March Madness and uh talking a little baseball today so it's a little different yeah before we before we get into uh the money ball of it all uh i i heard you were stressing out about your uh your duke team how, how did the game go and um how was your anxiety oh man in the moment anxiety was high i uh i did tweet out at one point that i looked down at my smartwatch and i think i should have been in cardiac arrest at that point it was a, a lot of nerves a lot of pacing back and forth uh you know my in typical fashion but that's what you uh, that's what you get this late in the season. It's one and done. Obviously a big season. Coach K's last season. So I'm, I'm hoping you get the storybook ending, but you never know. Back and forth all day yesterday. But they live to fight again. Elite eight coming up. So excellent. Excellent. Well, good luck to your team. But we have to get into something more important, which is the 2002 uh, Oakland Athletics. Um, let's let's start. We're going to start with some batting practice. When and where did you first see the great movie Moneyball. If, if you remember. Yeah. You know, I wish I had a better answer for this one. Um, I know I didn't see it in theaters, uh, mm -hmm. but with that in mind, I know that it would have been a red box rental for me because based on the time frame, it was before everything was really available on streaming services easily. And it was after most of the video stores were dying out. So it would have been a red box rental for me. Um, so Watched it at home um, as best I can remember only once uh, up until up until recently doing a rewatch. But it was uh, it was definitely one that stuck with me. And I, I remember. But Red Box. Absolutely. I, f I feel like I'm probably in the same boat. I, I don't I don't believe I saw it in theaters. That's it's crazy to even think that one of my favorite movies like ever, especially sports movies. I do not remember seeing it, but also I don't remember a lot uh, outside of like random trivia. So um just, just on the subject, you know, you said you saw it the one time, never revisited. Um, what was like your initial thoughts when you saw it, and then uh, have it has it changed since the rewatch? I, mean, I remember it being a really great movie, you know, at the time, um, and it kind of features, you know, I'm sure stuff we'll talk about, but a lot of like the business side of, of baseball uh, or sports in general, which is 
actually like a, a favorite thing of mine. So it, it definitely stuck with me. A lot of great performances. Obviously, I think it was one of the first times we saw Jonah Hill like in a really dramatic, you know, type role. Yeah. Um, you know, super bad one being one of my favorite movies ever. It was you know crazy to kind of see him step into something so different and drastic. But um, I don't rewatch a whole lot of movies that are more in the dramatic sense as much as I would rewatch like a comedy or an action flick or something like that. So it no knock against Moneyball as a movie that I didn't see it several times after. Um, but yeah, definitely quality. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, moving on, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in this. And um, anytime Philip Seymour Hoffman is in a movie, like the movie just kind of gets elevated to another level. Do you feel that, you know, especially with the rewatch, do you think he was underutilized? I, I think out of the whole cast of characters, he may have been the most underutilized, but I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, for like you said, he elevates everything he's in. So for his talent as an actor, um, I don't think you can ever have too much of him. You always want more. Uh, mm. I, probably in the film, he's maybe arguably like the third lead, probably. Um, could be, you know, fourth, maybe if you count Chris Pratt. But he plays the role so well. Um, you know, the reluctant manager, little eye contact. He doesn't love confrontation, but you know, he's not backing down from what he thinks he needs to be doing. Um so he does the role really well. He gets some screen time, but obviously he likes to see more. I think, if anything, it would have been rewarding to see him a little bit later in the movie featured. Uh, you know, you always see the reluctant side of him, but you never really get that trade-off. Um, you know, once once his hand has been forced and he has to play the players that, uh, that Billy wants to see him play, it would have been cool to see after it's working, um, you know, a conversation maybe with Billy at that point. So that would have been a nice, you know, add-on maybe to kind of see it come, you know, full circle. You get a little bit of payoff, I think, when he um, in that you know big twentieth win when he makes a decision to to pinch hit you know Hatterberg into the lineup, and so obviously he's kind of caught on to what he needs to be doing at that point. But maybe one more conversation would have been a nice ad if they could have done that. I totally agree, and I I heard like um, in terms of like the real story, uh, they dramatized dramatized. I don't know if that's the word. Uh, <laughs> dramatized the um, the the whole art of it all like that you know he wasn't that reluctant in in trying the method and i think they really try to just amp that up for for the story for the movie itself so yeah i i I totally agree on on that it it would have been nice to have some sort of some sort of better payoff than just having him like you know having him get re-signed at the end of the season or whatever like the contract gets all situated i think would have been cool are you a baseball fan like in general do you watch baseball Self-admittedly, no, not not really. Uh, I like going to games in person, but it's not something I sit down and watch a lot of on TV. I'm so, I mean, as we talked about with, with Duke and then obviously being the biggest Commanders fan in the world, yes. uh, I, I tend to try to take a little bit of an offseason for myself and not be so tied up throughout the entire year with the sport. Um, so baseball, I really don't watch too much until it gets down to the playoffs or if something like really major is happening, you know, like a record's about to be broken or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm definitely more of a casual fan i don't even have like a team that i would i would claim but grew up playing the sport i played the sport longer than i played anything else other than you know golf but uh but yeah it's never never really been one that i've i've clung to later in life watching i would have skipped over this question but i think i can just make it a little more broad is like has analytics and like the money ball element like worked in baseball but do you think that works in sports in general of like buying you know wins and buying runs or buying whatever instead of you know you know buying players like do you think that whole you know strategy works and especially into like today's game yeah i mean 
I think so. I think it works in terms of it can make you competitive. Um, and all I would, there's like a line in the movie where they talk about, you know, percentages can hold up over the course of a season, but in one game, one at bat, you can throw them out. Uh, it's like late in there right before they're about to lose that last game in the playoffs. Um, so I think in order to win a championship in, in any sport, it's somewhere in the middle. Like, obviously you want to have, if you can have the biggest payroll, great. Have the biggest payroll. That just means that you can retain like the talent that you have on your roster that, you've built and fit into a concept. Uh, so if you believe in the concept, like in the baseball instance of things that you want to try to just manufacture, you know, people on base and, and get runs, you know, however that may play out, then get the players that you want for that. But, you know, if they perform well, then obviously somebody's still going to try to come along and you know scoop them up. So you have to be able to try to retain the talent. And I think to win the championship, you want those guys to play together for several seasons so that you can build that camaraderie and the familiarity and, uh, it's, it's tough to win, I think, a championship with like a – like it is in college basketball. I can read it to that. Like a one-and-done type philosophy. You get all these talented freshmen. Sure, they'll be NBA stars in the future. But playing together, you know, they never played in March Madness. They never played on the biggest stage. So it's, it's a lot harder, I think, to – you can't manufacture that environment. Um, so you want to have guys that have that familiarity as well. Absolutely. Now, do you have a favorite sequence in the film, and why is it the Kansas City game? Uh, I, I could talk about the Kansas City game, you know, if you want. Um, I mean, obviously, that's like the, the climactic, uh, you know, type scene. You know, for me, I think every every sports movie is going to have that like emotional, you know, toll scene, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's a big win or like a, a loss. So it could be failure. It could be a triumph. Um, so that's not necessarily as unique for me. I, I referenced it earlier, but my favorite part. Uh, of this movie and like any, well, not any sports movie, but one of my favorite things is seeing the behind the scenes uh, aspect of things. Um, you know, the trades, transactions, those types of conversations, yeah. uh, the business side of things. So favorite scene for me is actually like the wheeling and dealing that they have towards the end of the movie after things have started to work, but then they decide they wanted to bring in Rincon. Rincon. So yeah, they're on the phone, Amazing. like basically playing teams off of each other, yep. uh, you know, to kind of get what they want. And then, ultimately get like the huge trade and you've got the the Jonah Hill like fist clinch and you've got Brad Pitt on the phone like spitting out popcorn that he just like shoved into his mouth like so that he can you know, answer it like get me this person on the phone give me that person on the phone never mind I've got him like you know going crazy there's just a high energy and I love that you know uh that particular scene basically fleecing these other teams into, into getting what they want and uh that's probably like the there's a lot of different uh, scenes kind of like that, but that's that's a highlight and it's probably the best representation of what the business side of things really is like. There's a great I, I don't remember if it was a theory that I read online or like a tweet, but it's like something along the lines of, you know, a Brad Pitt movie is going to be good for the amount of times he's eating throughout the movie. Like like in Ocean's Eleven, where he like every time you see him, his character, he's constantly eating. And yeah. it's the same in uh in, in Moneyball too. So I love that theory. And you know, going on to favorite sequences, I totally agree. I, I see Bill was like, he put the question in here about the Kansas City game. My favorite scene is the he gets on base, like the the scene in in the room with all the scouts. I absolutely love that scene. But I can also say that about like 30 other scenes in this movie. Right. They, All right. They well, the, when I point to you talk thing, but like, <laughs> if you don't look at your sheets, I'm going to point to him. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep pointing <laughs> to him. Oh, my God. I'm so funny. All right. Well, for the final pitch, is Moneyball the greatest baseball 
slash sports movie of all time. And so you can answer kind of both. Like, do you think it's the best baseball movie of all time and or the greatest sports movie of all time? And I've, I've heard so far our guests are leaning the opposite direction, but they still love the movie. So I would love to get your take on it. Yeah, I mean, I love the movie as well. Or I really enjoy the movie. I like the movie. I guess I shouldn't say I love because what I would say is there's a lot of other baseball movies that are great out there. Um, you know, when I think baseball movies, I think of ones that like I rewatch constantly. Um, and like I said, I don't rewatch a lot of drama, but Sandlot, I've seen a million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, a League of Their Own, I've seen a million times. So uh, Major League, uh, Field of Dreams. I mean, Field of Dreams is more dramatic as well, but it's it's got some elements to it. Uh, so it's tough for me to say Moneyball's the best. I think it is easily the best movie from like a critically deserves praise and like award you know winning type sense it's it's elevated in that level um doesn't necessarily make it make it the most rewatchable for me so it's it's tough for me to call it the greatest baseball movie of all time um and that's even a hard call for me to to say out of the ones that i just rattled off i don't know that i could really pick one so i don't know if it's the best baseball movie certainly for me not the best sports movie ever made i will rewatch rudy like a thousand times uh and never really get tired of that one love it Love it. I mean, I disagree, but I love it. Uh, (laughs) Ben, that is all the time we have for you today. Um, But the great thing about you is you get on base. So it was great to have you on uh, to celebrate 100 100 episodes of the podcast. And you are one of our favorite guests. So thank you again, Ben. And uh, we'll see you for the next one. Thanks, man. Now stepping up to the plate, a senior writer for thepopbreak.com. He is the South by Southwest guru. You've seen his quotes in a number of film and television trailers. You could follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore Cordy. Mr. Sean Cordy, welcome to the podcast as you're making your debut. Hey, Bill. How's it going? We're doing good, man. Let's do a little batting practice. Let's warm it up a little bit. So uh, when and where did you first see Moneyball? Uh, well, my town only had one theater, so it was only one spot I could go. And I saw it opening weekend with my dad. I was super excited for it. Just It came in the right time of my life. I was taking a fantasy baseball summer camp, uh, summer school, actually. It was a special class. And the teacher introduced me a couple of years before to Bill James and Sabermetrics and studying uh, exactly what the movie's about. So it was a perfect time in my life to see it. And I... Went to go see it twice in the same weekend. I absolutely loved it. Fell in love first sight. I loved it so much. What is what is summer fantasy baseball camp like? What what is that? I, I would love to know. Uh, it was literally it's a special class. Uh, it was two weeks hosted by the university, uh, the specialized summer school, where it's not like normal. You have to retake this class. It was something like kids do for fun type thing. And the teacher is just teaching different types of an- analysis for uh, baseball, basically, just how to pick apart which players were going to be doing better that year. Exactly what the movie's about. Perfect segue into my first question for you: Was Billy? Uh, he's not a general manager anymore. He's now an executive with the Oakland A's after a failed bid to buy the Fenway Group, which is also ironic. Yep. Was Billy Bean? actually a good general manager 
Well, I mean, considering there's a movie made about him and a whole movement based around what he did, it's hard to say no. But at the same rate, I think this movie gives him a lot more credit and the legacy that this movie made for him makes people think he was better than he was. Because the A's did win 100 games plus the next season after this movie focuses on. Right. But then they went sub 500 a couple times after that and only made the playoffs one more time after that in six years. Obviously, a lot of stuff happens, but other teams just caught up to the curve that he was ahead of. So it's just hard to see that he was great. He just had that one time where he was able to strike gold and other teams just followed his lead. Do you think a lot of it also happened to be luck? Like he just like their hunches paid off or you think that sabermetrics is a, a sound way to run a baseball team? Well, I mean, considering like the A's actually were using sabermetrics before this movie made it sound like they were, they made it sound like he just stumbled upon Jonah Hill at the Indians and then came across and then did all this stuff. But he was just carrying on what the general manager before him was doing. And then the Rangers in the 90s were even doing it too. So, and obviously the Rangers didn't win a World Series in the 90s. They were juicing as well. Uh, so no, it's like allegedly, yeah. allegedly. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, just they struck gold at the right time and this perfect storm happened. So one of the one of what do you think is the most tense scene in this? Because I have mine, but what do you think is the most like because there are a few scenes here where they they really just with baseball business stuff kind of have you on edge. Like what is the most thrilling or most tense scene for you in this movie? So to me, I, I'm going to be curious what you're going to talk about, because to me, there's only one really tense scene and that's the climax of the scene, the super stylized Scott Hatterberg home run where Chris Pratt steps up the bait up, up to the base. And after about two hours of Aaron Sorkin dialogue, this completely turns into a visual moment. And then right as he's about to hit it, it just cuts the silence. That's the mute. And then we see Billy Bean just look. And every baseball fan knows that the crack of the bat, that that thing is going out of the park. And that moment to me is perfection. And that whole scene just encapsulates, like just mounts all this tension and it completely snaps. I love it. I love that scene too. It's one of the best scenes ever. But for me, the scene that really has me is when they're making the Rincon trade and they're constantly getting people on the phone, selling different guys, head faking people totally like that. What? Yeah. And if, does that, if that, does would, that scene work for you or no? true to life, then that does illustrate how good we could say being was because we don't, we only attribute like his, these sabermetric kind of ideas as his genius, but pulling off trades like that is, a whole other thing. You can look at a player and want to get him, but being able to pull off these kind of stuff was pretty eye-opening. So I agree on that too. Now, you, like you said, you've you've done some research on analysis and sabermetrics and stuff like that. Would you have paid for Rincon with your own money, or would you have just let the deal die? Uh, I'd have to. And would you, and have, would to, you have sold them? But when you sell them the next year, you're taking that money, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd have to wish I had that pocketbook okay. uh, and obviously hindsight's 2020, but I, I went digging around and I looked at his stats that year and he was, he was very mediocre with the Indians. So it was no surprise that they shipped him away. Right. 
And then when we went to the A's, he was like twice the player. He had an ERA plus of 142 compared to 92. So he was a below average player with the Indians and an excellent player with the A's. And then the next year, they decided to turn him rather than ship him away. They kept the value of him, turned him into a starter and went eight and four. And I think he had like a 137 ERA plus as a starter rather than just a mid reliever. So it worked. Would you have, uh, would you have? Um, made- no, because looking at his stats with them, I don't see this, the value of him coming to the A's. I probably would not have. So I'm curious what they saw in him particularly. Uh, would you have traded for Pena? Or would you have traded Pena away? Because that's I, someone that we, I've gotten different answers from everyone I've asked that question to. You know, no, I don't think I would have. Uh, this goes back to my time with the fantasy baseball camp. Like he was my all star. <laughs> Actually loved him with the with the Rays, and just of course. just remembering his power, which was something that they lacked. And obviously, they they look for different things. Um, but I, I think Jonah Hill was right that it was kind of crazy to do that. What you you've you've extolled a lot of the virtues of this movie. What doesn't work in this movie for you? Uh, you gave me these questions beforehand and, um, I took a lot of time to think about it and I've seen this movie, I think about 10 times in my life. I can't think of a single thing that um, a missing beat aside. The only thing that's kind of silly and Billy Bean has said, it's like, he's so appreciative that they cast Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt looks nothing like Billy Bean. Nothing. <laughs> so, um, that's the only thing I see wrong and there's nothing really wrong with that. Cause I love Brad Pitt. So why not go for it? I'll throw you a bonus question because we, you've been, you've been just, we've been just going through them so fast. Is, is this Brad Pitt's best leading performance? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's super charismatic, and I just absolutely love him. He's just so naturalistic. And I was thinking about at South by Southwest. I was hoping Brad Pitt would be there and hopefully get on the right carpet and talk with him. And I would definitely be trying to talk about this movie with him. Just, be, I would love to know like how much he absorbed and how much he kept about this because he's he plays the part like he knows it inside and out. Yeah, and he's a great father figure in the movie, and that's a, another emotional level to this. That it's not just about numbers and everything. So he just he just fits. It feels like this is the role he was born to play, aside from Tyler Durden. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we got a final picture, which you could expand on. Is Moneyball the greatest slash your favorite baseball movie of all time? Because I'll get to the next one because I know you've I'm feeling like the answer is yes. But I, I really because I then I want to pivot to something else off of it. Baseball movie specifically. Yes. Baseball specifically. So I'm not a huge fan of many baseball movies. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, like Sandlot was one I watched all the time and I absolutely loved it. Angels in the Outfield was just a fun little movie. Uh, the Rookie was another one. Loved it with uh, Quaid. But we've never had this elevated level of prestige Oscar uh, type of movie. And obviously, the Oscars appreciated it. Nominated for, I think, five, four categories. Six, yeah. Yeah. And we just talked about it. So, so literally, I remember. And it deserved all of them, if not more, in my opinion. And obviously the Oscars aren't like the end all be all for it, but it's just a good level to be like, 
we've never seen anyone try to elevate this and apply an Aaron Sorkin script to it, get Brad Pitt there. I think all the pieces just work so well. And my answer is no. Because Feel the Dreams exists. Yeah, it does. And oh. it that's so campy and it's so nostalgic and artificial in some ways. It's a sci-fi movie. It's essentially, yes. It's not what you'd expect to be comparing all the things I just said, but emotionally that movie just wrecks me. I watched this past year with the Field of Dreams happening with the uh, with the White Sox and Yankees. And I never appreciated the movie as much as I did this past year. It just works on every single level to me. So that's my answer. Feel the dreams. I, 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 I viciously, viciously cry during that film. That's yeah. why I don't try and watch it that often. <laughs> uh, but where do you think uh, Moneyball ranks uh, amongst sports movies of all time? And, and because we mentioned Oscars before, and uh, Alex, the previous uh, guest, and I were talking, and the artist won that year for Best Picture. But how? Mm-hmm. But most people forget that movie exists. Whereas know, more people are going back that. to Moneyball. What? I was telling my friend that a uh, couple weeks ago, like, yeah. of all the top movies of the past, let's say since 2000, no one ever brings up the artist ever about anything. But people but come back to Moneyball in a way. So where do you think this ranks among sports movies? Is this a top five, top ten? I think so. I mean, it still goes with the same uh, logic of the previous question with Beulah Dreams is not just my best sports movie. It's best or it's the best sports movie of all time. And I don't know. I'm curious, what are you putting up uh, against it? In your mind, well, um, the stuff I was looking at would be I mean, if you're going nostalgic, you can go The Sandlot, Mighty Ducks, you can go um, Any Given Sunday, Miracle. Uh, there's other movies I'm forgetting. Um, I mean, Hoosiers, um, yeah, I wouldn't put it above, I, I would put it above, above Hoosiers. Um, Rudy, I've never been a Rudy fan. Oh, you son of a bitch. No, no it's it, it that it's a field of dreams type thing. It's a very emotional movie for and me. And uh, it's escaping my mind. And obviously, I can't remember the title, the, the Warren Beatty uh, from the 70s. Having to wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's up there. But Moneyball is my number two. It has to be. I can't. There hasn't been another. I kind of mentioned this. And it's just kind of funny that Bennett Miller's next movie was a wrestling movie. But. I don't know if anyone really talks about that as a sports movie. Uh, I'd still oh, put Moneyball. Boxcatcher, right? Yep. Oh, because I was thinking of pro wrestling, and I was like, no, he didn't. That was Aronofsky. Trust right. me. That movie, if that movie was... Oh, right, I mean, do we want to count the wrestler? We, I mean, we? you could. I mean, I consider it a sport. That's one of the all-time greats. Okay, I'm going to put the wrestler as number two. And, okay, I forgot about boxing. Raging Bull. Raging Bull's the answer. And Rocky. Okay, you're gonna hate me. I'm not as much of a Rocky fan. I love. Neither am I. That's fine. It's okay. fine. I but thought Rocky four. Rocky four is great because it's Rocky right. four. You know what I mean? Right. But it's the rest of it. It's fine. So your number one is Raging Bull. Yeah, I, boxing can't. is just so far out of my mind that I forget about it as a sports movie. Just because yeah. I, I don't pay attention to it. And I, that's where like Raging Bull is not just a boxing movie. It's such a great movie just oh. beyond putting in that category. Oh man, yes. I mean, just just how it's shot in like black and white, so gorgeously. 
is just just that alone makes it amazing. And I'm th- thank you for putting the wrestler in at number two. That makes nothing but a, a movie about pro wrestling set in New Jersey with an 80s metal soundtrack screams me more than yeah. any movie ever made. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, I I'm, I watch that movie like once every couple of years and it just does a toll on me every single time. It oh. gets better every time too. Then when you end with the Springsteen song, because you have to end a Jersey movie with the Springsteen song and you're like, Oh God, <laughs> it just devastates you. But before we, before, uh, so before we, we send you off just, uh, you, the best line from, from this movie. Oh, Bill, I am awful with quotes. Good, I, so am I. <laughs> I can't remember a single one. I can barely think of what I just saw this last week. So I, I got to plead the fifth on that. All right, listen, man. We're trading Pena. You're going in at first base. So don't worry. You're our Scotty H. And we mean that in the best possible way. So, Sean, thank you so much for debuting on the podcast. We hope to have you back real soon. All right, stepping up to the plate is our next batter. She is the music editor of thepopbreak.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at cat underscore wild. It's Cat Manos Cat. Welcome to the 100th episode of Socially Distanced. Hi, Al. I cannot believe this is the 100th episode. I believe I was the guest on episode two or yes. three. Yeah, two yeah. or three. I believe so. It was. Uh, we were talking about Tiger King. That's how long ago we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, a, a different world, a different reality. Like I'm living in a new place. I think you are too. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not every. Yeah, everything's just different. That was like nine years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you are here for our 100th episode spectacular, where we decided we should talk about Moneyball, which uh, I believe is celebrating its 10 year anniversary, either end of last year or this year. No, it's 2010. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. It's yeah. been so long, but we just, I don't know why I said, let's, let's talk about Moneyball. It's such a good movie. Um, and we, we had this dumb idea of having nine guests and uh, we couldn't have done uh, a show with nine guests without having our OG guest, uh, <laughs> you. So let's, let's just get right into it uh, with some batting practice. Do you remember when and where you first saw Moneyball? Um, I'm pretty sure I saw it not long after it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing it at home. Um, and my family is definitely a baseball family. We are like very, very into it. My brother growing up played still, I mean, religiously, I just saw him and he was like bitching about the Dodgers. So like business as usual. Um, and I just remember watching it at home and it it was like, wow, the, this is a great movie. And for so many different reasons, not even just like a great baseball movie, but like a great movie, a great Brad Pitt movie, a great Jonah Hill movie. It was like the first time seeing Jonah Hill in like a not, I guess it's still a little comedic, but it was more serious. Like at that point, he was pretty much just like the guy in Judd Apatow movies. Um, Yeah, yeah. So it had to be probably 2011, 2012. Yeah, and speaking of Brad Pitt, he was nominated for um, for best actor at the Oscars for this movie. Uh, he did not win. Uh, mm-hmm. for, but how do you like kind of rank this? Like, do you think this is his best performance ever in a movie? I know you're a huge 
Brad Pitt fan, you've actually cosplayed basically as Brad Pitt before. Um, but if not, where, where do you rank this as one of his like best? If if it's even in his like top five for you? Yeah, yeah. I was <clears throat> I was thinking about where I would rank this, and it's really tough because it, it's kind of like asking like, what's your favorite or the best Tom Hanks movie? It's like impossible. Like he has who's so your favorite many- child? right like it it's actually really really hard I was thinking well maybe I'll just like rank this performance compared with ones around it but like right around the same time he also did Inglorious Bastards so it's it's so hard I to me I think what's notable about this role I could be wrong someone maybe could be pulling this out from somewhere but to me this was the first time that Brad Pitt played what felt like a real person and not like a character mm-hmm. like he was just playing this normal guy billy bean who which is like totally a fake name by the way but and it's <laughs> real That's it's the funny real part. but it's so fake yeah um yeah yeah he I, I was looking back at like who else was nominated for the best actor oscar that year and he lost to the french guy from the artist oh yeah that, that, that was the artist year Yes, literally no one talks about that movie anymore. I thought it was lovely, but no. I don't know, best picture worthy. Um, and that category was stacked. I, I think he should have won. It should have gone to him or George Clooney for The Descendants. Another like George Clooney kind of playing an unusual character that he wouldn't typically play. Um, but yeah, I th- it's he has so many great performances, Brad Pitt. But this one is definitely, I think, one of the first times that I kind of stopped and saw like, oh, this isn't Brad Pitt, the movie star. Or Brad Pitt, he's doing like a funny accent in Mm -hmm. a Tarantino movie. Like he's playing like a real person, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting to see when like the biggest stars on the planet just play like normal dudes. Like even like just recently with like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Don't Look Up. He's playing like a normal dude and you're like, wait, what? This is the fucking, this is the aviator. What what are we talking (laughs) about here? Um, But yeah, and talking about like his like normal ish role like literally he's playing a, a real life person and there's this sort of family subplot which has uh his ex-wife who's played by the amazing robin wright and uh-huh. then of course we get the best cameo of all time with spike jonesy as the you know the the new husband i believe or or i, yeah. I think it's i think it's a you know who she remarried and then uh and then his daughter right do you think mm-hmm. do, do you like that part of the film with like this kind of like family drama ish kind of tacked on or or do you think it's unnecessary for the overall story yeah it uh, i kind of feel two ways first love robin wright we mm-hmm. stand yeah, she's she's fabulous um i think it's a type of thing where i understand why it's in the movie and i know why it's there um and i do really like his dynamic with his daughter i really like that but I kind of feel like the rest of the family stuff is maybe not necessary, mm-hmm. but I don't know how you would just have his daughter and like not have the ex and everything too. Um, but I really like all the scenes that he has with his daughter. It's, I feel like she ends up kind of like being the heart of the movie, even though the movie has a lot of heart already. So yeah, it's, I don't think it really takes away from the movie that much, but it's, uh, those scenes are not the most memorable to me. And then where do you rank this? This is a little bonus question. Where do you rank this as uh, uh, which which Spike Jonesy role do you prefer? Do you prefer this role or him in his small brief role in the Wolf of Wall Street? 
Oh my God, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I guess the Wolf of Wall Street. It's is so really good. Great. He plays it, it, it so really well. Yeah. I love, I love him. Um, yeah. he's, I, I, we stand Spike Jonze yeah. as well until yeah, he gets yeah. hopefully not canceled at a later date. Cause you know, <laughs> he is a, a white dude. Uh, but let's yeah. go moving on to, uh, and you mentioned, uh, beans, uh, you know, Billy beans daughter, he covers Lenka's song, the show. Mm-hmm. And the song is played a few times during the film. Did this work for you? I mean, personally, the, the, the one at the end, it, kills me every single time but like yeah you I think that's like a necessary part of this movie I don't know how you feel yes it, it's so sweet mm-hmm. and like so gentle I I completely agree at the end it's like it's so crazy because it's kind of like it's how the movie ends and it has nothing to do with baseball but it does have everything to do with baseball <laughs> and it, yeah. it ties in so perfectly yeah I I love it I think it's I think it's really sweet and you don't see a lot of scenes like that. I feel like in in movies of this type, yeah, it's it's good. I I approve. I approve. And anyone who's cynical and they're like, yeah, I don't need the the daughter singing. Well, you are zero fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then how does does this movie make you romantic about baseball when you watch it as, as someone who's kind of lived mm-hmm. uh, in a baseball family for so long and is a lifelong Dodgers fan, I believe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we, we bleed blue in this house. Um, yeah, I think it is. I, and I think it's, um, it's not a typical baseball heartwarming movie in the way that like, it's not leading up to like a big championship game and you know, it's the bottom of the ninth and there's two outs. Like it's, it's not like kind of a, a classic baseball movie like that it's you're more of seeing baseball from like a management perspective um as opposed from like a player's perspective which I think is really interesting because that just doesn't yeah that doesn't happen a lot in films you're usually like you know like on the court with players or on the field with players and this is kind of like you're you know in Brad Pitt's truck as he's like driving away and listening to it. I just, I think it's really interesting. So yeah. 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 They somehow, um, they somehow put you in almost every aspect, or at least they try Mm -hmm. everything that involved with baseball, where it's, you know, it's before the season's even starting and they're, they're trying to build a team and you're in there with the scouts and you're, you're talking to the coach who's upset that, he doesn't have a contract for, you know, uh, future seasons and things like that. And then you get, you get to the actual field level with like spring training and Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Pratt, who (laughs) is like pre one of the biggest movie stars on the planet, but like, is kind of like showing you that he could be like, this is like right around. That's like this and zero dark 30. And then he gets guardians and it's changes kind of, you know, him as an actor completely. Now he's playing the same, he's doing the same movie over and over and over again. Um, Which is just an impersonation of Harrison Ford. Yes, a little bit, for sure. Uh, But let's let's get into the the final pitch, which is crazy that we're already here, but let's get into the final pitch. Is Moneyball the greatest baseball slash, slash sports movie of all time in your book? And if not, what is? This, this is really, really tough. This is really tough because there are so many good baseball movies. Yeah. I think 
I think like my gut is telling me just have to go with my gut that to me, the greatest baseball movie ever is Field of Dreams. Okay. It's kind of untouchable. Mm -hmm. Nothing can really beat that. But then I started thinking about like, okay, what are like the really, really great baseball movies that also love The Natural, Mm -hmm. Robert Redford. I mean, just so good. The Sandlot, need I say more? Um, But I realized I'm like, all those movies are a bit older. Like probably The Sandlot's the most recent one. That's the mid nineties. So I realized like, Moneyball really is the best baseball movie of the last 20 years, hands down. For sure. Hands down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's it's such a stack. I'm, literally every baseball movie ever, I've seen it. If there's a baseball movie you love, I've seen it. Everything yeah, I, like Little Big League, um, Rookie of the Year. Love 61. Rookie of the Year. Rookie, so Angels, in the Angels in the Outfield. Angels in the Outfield. starring JGL. Young JGL, Matthew McConaughey is on the California Angels at that point. That just tells you how. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think I I think it's it's I'm I'm a little biased because I think it is my favorite sports mm-hmm. movie of all time. Um, I don't know why. I can just I can watch this movie like once a month and I think I'd be so happy. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like when you really think about it, one we didn't mention too is like if we're gonna talk about like the if if someone gun to my head says like what's the greatest baseball movie of all time mm-hmm. I, it's kind of a cheat because it's not really technically baseball but a league of their own is such a great movie oh my god and yeah. yes it is baseball it's the all yes it is baseball. baseball you're right league. you're right technically you're right no no you were 100 yes. right i was thinking for softball yes. for some reason that shows you it's, have i've not watched it in a while but i love that movie it's so good and they're coming out with an amazon show of it they the are way. with uh abby jacobson yes um, i think she's um, like creating show running and, and starring or something like that yes i'm yeah. so down me too down. for sure there's so much yeah. more to tell for that whole story because it's like such a part of history that we've kind of overlooked I and know. Uh, would love to to learn more about it because i'm definitely uh i'm not well versed in it uh, yeah. but unfortunately we're out of time um it's 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 really hard to not be romantic about baseball and it's really hard to do a socially distanced podcast without our unofficial third host, Kat Manos. Kat, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we will see you very, very soon for another podcast. Yeah, thank you. And stepping up to the plate, he is a staff writer for thepopbreak.com. He's covered AEW, Rampage, Celebrity Big Brother, and Survivor. He is the host of the Closet Champion podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Closet Champ. Ladies and gentlemen, making his socially distanced podcast debut, Mr. Mike Mueller. Mueller. Thank you so much, Mueller. Thank you so much, man. Happy to be on here finally. We're not talking about there's some. Finally, there's something we can talk about that I can that works for socially distance. Well, we will be having you on for football, no doubt. Cool, cool. I'm actually I'm wearing my Raiders hat because I don't have any athletics gear, but I figured the Raiders and the A's shared a stadium for a while, so that was the closest I could get to uh, to I, something I, appropriate. I appreciate it very much. Let's get let's warm you up a little bit. Let's start a sure. little batting practice. So, when and where did you first see Moneyball? 
So I fought, first saw Moneyball. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan at the time. It was when it just came out. I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. So pretty much anything that he does, I will watch. And also being a baseball fan and all that, I had to go to theaters opening weekend. I was very excited about it. Brad Pitt's one of my boys. So uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan at the State Theater. I want to say it was the State Theater. Michigan you're, the State only, theater. you're the only person so far who has mentioned the exact theater they saw it in. So I, really? I appreciate oh. it. I was like, oh, I saw it in the movies. Uh, <laughs> let's, so from the easy one to let's give you an, let's just give you a curveball. Like a really, really just a, just a nasty breaking ball. Does Moneyball slash Sabermetrics work in baseball? Do you think it actually does work? I think it's a it's a solution to a very specific problem. I don't think it's the end all be all of uh, baseball metrics, but I think for a small market team that needs to find a way to compete with a big market team in a uh, in a sport like baseball that doesn't have a salary cap and you can very much buy yourself a winning team for the people that can't buy themselves a winning team. You have to think outside the box a little bit. And there's, you know, people have tried a lot of different things, but I think Sabermetrics is one of the best examples of baseball. I mean, baseball is a numbers game or it's the nerdiest of the four pro sports by far. It's all about the numbers. And, and, you know, so I think it's very appropriate that if ever there was a sport that would have a mathematical driven solution, it would be baseball. Uh, so I think it, I mean, I think having the biggest payroll is still, is still the best strategy for baseball, but if you can't do that, then I think it's a wonderful alternative solution that definitely can work if you've got the right group that's together. And uh, the Oakland A's definitely had it that year. You, as I just posed this to the uh, to Sean Cordy earlier in the, or in the in the podcast. Was Billy Bean actually a good GM? Again, I think it's he he was the right GM to do that because it took someone that was willing to think outside the box. You know, you look at his resume top to bottom, there's been a lot more successful GMs even during his era. But again, I don't know who else would have taken that kind of shot and gone completely off script uh, from the way that you're used to running a baseball organization. So again, I think it was one of those situations, like uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I think this was one of those situations where again, he couldn't do what the traditional way of building a good baseball team was. And you see in the movie, in the opening scene, like his first solution is not sabermetrics. His first solution is give me more money to get the right team. Uh, and it's like, look, that's not a possible answer. That's answer E and you only have A through D as options. So you got to find a good option. And so I don't know if he, if he was a great GM or even a good GM, but I think he was a risk taker and only a risk taker and someone that was willing to really buck the system would succeed in something like that. And he's, so for that, I'll say he, he was an inventive uh, GM and yeah. So yeah, screw it. Yeah. He was a good GM. He was a good GM. How wild is it that it's just like, we need to sign Johnny Damon for seven and a half million dollars and everyone, the owner's like, (gasps) Whoa, buddy. And now we look at it now. And it wasn't that long ago. 
Like it wasn't. And now a seven and a half million dollar deal. That's like that guy's maybe not even in the starting lineup in some uh, organizations. That's bench depth for a that's year. bench depth. Yeah. For a year. So uh, what do you, what's your favorite scene in this entire movie? So I'm I'm a bit of a c- cinephile, if that's the right phrase. Um I think it's really important. So I've got two and I couldn't, I went back and forth. I could not choose between two. Um, The first one is actually uh, the, the, I guess it's the second scene in the movie when he goes to the Indians and he's having that first conversation and it's our introduction to Jonah Hill. I just, I like, I like that scene for a lot of reasons, but the main reason is it shows without, without the dialogue, just the expression in Brad Pitt's face and watching um, how everything interacts. Like he, it goes to the character of Billy Bean, who's already before he even wraps his head around this thinking outside the box. And what does this guy know that I don't know? And why is it so interesting and important? And then after he has that conversation uh, at the, um, at the cubicle and he sort of realizes what Joan Hill's character is all about, which is Peter Brand. Peter Brand. Uh, well, it's really Paul D. Podesta, but well, for the movie, yeah. Sorry, uh, I just really like that scene because I always like watching actors react and watching, like, I just like watching Brad Pitt's face as he's figuring out this guy is someone that I really need to uh, pay attention to, and this is something this could be the missing piece to the puzzle, and it sets everything up, and it shows um, that he's a very uh, intuitive person, very observant person, and I think it just goes to the Billy Bean character a lot, so I really liked what they did with that. The other scene that I love is, of course, uh, when he's trying to get uh, Rincon, and he's doing all the the three-way conversations with the GMs for a couple reasons. One, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think um, Jonah Hill is wearing the A's hat in that scene. And it's the first time we see him wearing the A's hat. So now he's got a level of confidence and feeling part of the team that he did not feel before that signified in the hat, Brad Pitt drinking out of the, I love you dad cup. um, Wow. A lot of you're paying attention. A lot of detail there. That's the details make it like the details make the movie. And again, it's a two hour and 10 minute movie. And we'll, I know what the, you know, I, you're tipping your signs and I know what the next uh, pitch is going to be, but I don't want to lean too far into the next one, but it's the little details and being able to tell more of a story and give characters more depth without dialogue and doing it with your props and your surroundings and doing it in other ways, reactions versus just, you know, what they say. And so those are, it's a lot of little details in that. And then of course, just the energy and they're really hyped and they're believing in what they're doing. And he knows this is sort of like the, the final missing piece to um, putting it all together. So I really like that scene as well. And I could not pick between the two. I do love the Kansas city scene where they just decide we're, we're just going to play with sound a whole bunch. And like, especially when Scotty H gets up, that's such a great scene. That's, that is a very cool scene. I love also whenever it's anything based a movie that's based on something that really happened when you can work in actual shots or actual dialogue from what was actually happening back then. Um, I think Vietnam movies do it really well and really effectively. Um, when they can do that. And so, yeah, I like that scene a lot too, just for that reason, all, all the audio cues and all that playing f- from what actually happened. 
let's put you in the director's chair. Uh, yeah. What's what's one thing you would change about this movie? So the my biggest issue with the movie, and maybe a lot of people don't agree with me, but my biggest issue with the movie is I only care about Brad Pitt. I don't have a connection to any of the players. I like Peter Brand um, and Jonah Hill played him really well, but I don't have a, a deep attachment to anybody. And to me, when you have actors, the quality of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Robin Wright, who is on my like goddess level of, of actors. Um, I wish that we had gotten more from those characters. I mean, the white, the ex-wife, you know, is a fairly inconsequential part of the story, given that his relationship with his daughter was a secondary element of the story. It drove a lot of his decisions and things, but it really, if you had to absolutely cut it, you probably couldn't still have made a great movie. Um, and then just all the answers always give Philip Seymour Hoffman more screen time. So I wish that uh, his uh, role as Art, Art Howe. Art um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wish that they just got more time. And I think we could have maybe cut a scene or two that was just Brad Pitt. Um, the other thing I would have done, and again, talking about little details, is I would have gotten rid of Billy Bean chewing the tobacco and spitting it. I get that it's a little um, like it's it's a way of showing that he's still like it. In, even though he's doing all these revolutionary things, he's still an old school baseball guy that chews dip and spits. And we see other old school baseball guys chewing dip and spitting. So I get it. It's just visually for me, it's a huge, huge turnoff. It just like grosses me out. And it wasn't done. If the intention of it being in there was to gross me out, then okay, cool. But it, it wasn't. And we've seen enough little things throughout the rest of the movie that did a good enough job of expressing that he is from the old school world of baseball, even though he's got these new school theories, we could have done without that. And my stomach would have been a little less queasy, but that's a small detail. And the way he holds his cup and the way he does it uh, at first, I'm just like, because he like, it almost looks like I was like, is he eating like nuts? And he's like, that's, I thought it was sunflower seeds or something at first, no. but yeah, or, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I just, it didn't. It didn't sit out in front here, the old, which is great for an audio podcast. I'm pointing to my <laughs> really good. Uh, man, we've, we've passed all these. So let's get to the final pitch here. Um, oh, sorry. And I don't know. It's perfectly fine. Is okay. is Moneyball the greatest or your favorite baseball movie of all time? And if it's not, not, what what is? It's not um, this. So I. It's. I was thinking you're going to maybe ask me, you stole my thunder. I thought you were going to ask me if it was the greatest sports movie. And I was going to come back with, it's not even the greatest baseball movie. Uh, um, no, because cause I realized uh, I get like the temperature of everyone's so like, uh, I'm not going to ask sports movie. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Well, I do think baseball movies make the best movies, um, but I would actually put it just for baseball movies and maybe sports movies overall. I put it at number three. I'd put a league of their own at number two and I, I would put uh, major league at number one, which is sort of as far as um, the vibe of a movie, it's kind of the antithesis of Moneyball. but uh, it's just so many great lines and Bob Euchre and uh, Wesley Snipes character in there. It's timeless. It's 
definitely in the top five of movies I've seen the most often. Cause in college I would watch that movie probably two, three times a week. I just never got sick of it. Um, I adore that movie. So I, I love Moneyball. Aaron Sorkin's my favorite writer in Hollywood. Um, but a league of their own tugs at my heartstrings more. It, it connects me to the people more and major league. I just think for a sports comedy movie is flawless. So, but it's funny about also about major league is you actually see a whole team season from spring training to the playoffs. Like you actually yeah. behind the scenes, like this is like, it's, it's, it's a comedy, but it's also like, this is really like kind of could happen in baseball. Yeah. And it's a, t- yeah, it's a team. It's about the team where again, I, and I think that's where, when you say like, is Moneyball straight up a better film than major league? Yes, it is. Yeah. But, but as a baseball movie to me, major league is much more about the baseball team and everything about it than Moneyball, which is really just about Brad Pitt's character. Uh, so, so, yeah. So what's the greatest sports movie of all time that now you got me intrigued. Oh no, I would probably say major league okay. um, on my short list for other films that aren't um, baseball baseball. Uh, I would say um, I do love tin cup. I like them being on the lighter side. I like comedies. So, um, and again, Rene Russo, I, you can tell I got a thing. Um, Doesn't ask me my favorite art crime movie, Thomas Crown Affair, anything Rene Russo's in, man, she'll, she'll take that. But um, I really like that one. Um, Bull Durham's a classic, of course. Uh, Sam, something in baseball. I'm in baseball mode. How can you not be romantic about baseball? How can you not be romantic about baseball? Um, I I don't know what other great sports movies that like off the top of my head that are just leaping out to me. Mighty Ducks is a classic, maybe just because I was of the right age. Um, But I'm a huge fan of that one. I I think probably actually my favorite football movie would probably be Any Given Sunday, which, again, not a not a great movie, but um, it's also the correct answer is the replacements. But, you know, that's you know, and I've got I need to rewatch that because it's it right after uh, it, I watched Moneyball on Netflix and right after it finished a thing for the replacements came up and I said to myself, it's been a long time. And I used to have a hang up about Keanu, but we rewatched uh, the matrix recently and I really enjoyed him. So I, I've got to open my mind back up. I got to go back. I got to see speed. I guess I just break. watched point break. Not that long ago. I knew you were going to say point break <laughs> right after it. So, Mike, uh, listen, yeah. thank you for joining us on the Socially Distance Podcast, making your debut. And Thanks while this might sound me. like a negative to send you off on, I know you are from Michigan, so we are trading you to Detroit. <sighs> and we want to send you home. We, I know we, we got to keep you home by the family. That's why we don't want you in California anymore. But, <laughs> Appreciate all right. it. All right. We'll see you soon. Stepping up to the plate, the final batter for tonight, a senior writer for the popbreak.com. And according to Bill Bodkin, the least like human being to ever work for the site. You can follow him on Instagram at Real Whiskey Rye, and that's R Y E. Mr. Ryan DeMarco, one of my best friends on the planet, a co best man of my wedding, and the last guest on the 100th episode of Socially Distance. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. How, what an achievement can I say? And what an honor for you and Bill 
to reluctantly have me come on from time and time again throughout this this amazing journey. Uh, I'm proud to be part of it. Proud that I'm the final batter here, and not the bat boy or the guy selling popcorn in the stands for this uh, for this particular event. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Lucas couldn't make it, so we told him that he can uh, you know perform a song during the seventh inning stretch. Uh, but <laughs> no yeah. doubt some or something yeah I'm, you know. I'm sure uh but let's <laughs> let's let's start with some batting practice uh do you remember when and where you first saw moneyball because i think i actually remember when you saw moneyball more than i remember myself seeing it you see i, I thought i thought we saw it together we did not but that was not the case um uh please for, for i i since you tell, tell you, me i'm tell me if i'm wrong here you saw it on a date I did. <laughs> That's right. I, did. I remember more about your life than I do about mine. That is crazy. Yes, that is so true. <laughs> I remember. I loved it, and 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 she did not. But uh, that is, oh my god, you blew my mind. I completely. <laughs> I thought I saw it somewhere else, and no, mm-hmm. I, I did not. I yeah, I, I saw you, it with you. I think you told me. Oh, we saw Moneyball. I was like, that's weird for a date. And then at the same time, I'm like, I, I still want to see that. Is it good? You're like, yeah, it was pretty good. You should watch it. And I think, and then I I think I had to have watched it on uh it was before streaming. So it must have I must have either rented it or maybe it hit cable and then I watched it then. But I'd never I didn't see it in theaters. You definitely did because I remember you saw it on a date. Truly, truly a highlight of that relationship and 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 that uh I would say that year. Uh, it was one of for the sure. best films. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um all right. Well, let, let's get into uh, well, what were you like. Yeah, you, you said you liked the movie, but like any other thoughts like after seeing it, like was did it take reviewing it a few times for it to like cement itself as like one of your you know favorite sports movies or was it kind of like instant for you? It was um, it was one of those experiences that you see it and you go, this is definitely something special. Um, but being uh, I think I was I was 18 years old at the time when it when I no 19, maybe yeah. I was 19. Um, at, at the time, you 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 absolutely need to see it again just to get all of the 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 turn of phrases, the idiosyncrasies, every single character's uh, motivations, and 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 everything. How everything gels together. That's simply something you have to revisit time and time again. It was definitely, like I said, it was definitely something that caught me because I I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you've seen. Uh, uh, Jonah Hill and, and Brad Pitt coming together, saving baseball as <laughs> saving the world at, at uh, one, uh, one arithmetic at a time. And it was, it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary theater experience. So it was, but definitely time and time again, you catch, you definitely catch more and more things and, and all the, it, it becomes more rewatchable as you, as you see, I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah. I, it's like, I think I was talking to, um, I was talking to the guy who uh, invented the money mall money ball memes account on Twitter that uh, we discovered uh, like, like I guess last year and he's on the podcast. He's our, he's our first guest, which was really cool to have him. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I told him that like, I can watch this movie like once a month, I think, or I think it was either him or cat who's also on the, uh, on the batting order. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can watch this movie like once a month and not get tired of it and find something new about it that I love. Um, but let's get into the nitty gritty of the movie. I got a couple of questions for you now. Yeah. Um, famously in the movie, uh, you know, Billy kind of 
rips it into uh, Jeremy Giambi, who is weirdly dancing after getting crushed uh, in a, in a defeat. Um, do you think he was too yeah. hard on Jeremy Giambi? I, I feel quite the opposite. I feel like you should have beat him with a bat. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I think he should have threw the bat at him. No, yeah. in fact, it was, it was such a, uh, that's actually like one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Too. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it, it's such an extraordinary, just it, it, the way it plays together where he goes, are you having fun losing? <laughs> what are you having fun for? And then like the silence, and he goes, that's what losing that's sounds it. like. And then he throws the bat and he goes, peace, bitches. And then he's like, yeah, do better. His, I don't think he's... His <laughs> lines, his lines about winning and losing in this in this movie are amazing. Like the one that makes, the one I love is, um, um, I, I hate losing even more than I want to win. Like, doesn't he say something like that? Billy? Doesn't Billy Bean say that? Did you not hear me? Yeah, <laughs> he says so because when he's he's trying I hear you to now. yeah he's trying to he's trying to like put a point across and he says something along the lines of uh, I hate losing even more than I want to win something along those lines. Yeah, he 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 is the perfect Brad Pitt is you know when he whenever the thing with Brad Pitt is when you see him in a movie you know it's going to be good and he can really. And this was one of the few, this is probably uh, outside of his role as, uh, what was his name, Floyd in True Romance, a true Brad Pitt performance. So where it's just, you get these, he embraces that, that old school, like jock, um, just, just, uh, just, just, just charisma that like only so few actors can do. And yeah, when he, when he, <laughs> the way, the way some of these lines roll off his tongue as he's chewing gum or he's eating sunflowers seeds yeah the, the uh oh man there was another one that i'm thinking of too it's like it just escapes me but yeah the uh definitely him standing there hitting the, the stereo with the baseball bat going like what are you doing like you know <laughs> like he just it, it's the perfect like i said i think anybody else would have really hammed it up but he just goes like the hell are you doing? It's perfect. And it, it's truly makes him look like a jackass in front of everybody. And was it enough? No, he could have, he could have totally went more ham into him, but uh, no, I, and he, I think Jeremy Giambi too, he was always a notorious, like, like D bag on, on, uh, <laughs> on, on um, so oh, I think, I yeah, I wish you Wish you went full pit on him. You meant you mentioned Moneyball and the True Romance. I would add, like, if you want to do a trilogy of like Brad Pitt playing normal dudes performance, the most mm. underrated, I think, of all of them is Burn After Reading. Oh yeah, as um, oh yeah. So what the hell was his name in that I, movie? I, I forgot. I, it's so. Oh, my God, <laughs> that's one of my favorite comedic performances. Yes, an award-winning performance. Where this total bonehead. <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> i i can't remember the quote but, but when they're talking when they're talking to john malkovich on the phone it's like the best scene ever <laughs> we're doing that for the 200th episode bill just throwing that out there we're doing burn yeah. after reading um burn, burn. Such exactly movie. all right uh but more more random questions uh from the movie would you have traded pena so uh um, he's an all-star He's an he's an, he's an all star, huh? Yeah, I, I, 
this is every question you bring up to again paints to the to how how great this movie is i immediately can think of like three to four scenes involving pena and then uh, billy bean talking to art Howe about 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 having uh had a bird jump in from but um i guess it's i guess it's uh you have to look at it from the movie's perspective I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, get, I take that back, actually. I, I don't know, because in, in real life, I guess, I, Carlos Pena, I mean, he eventually did become a Golden Glove winner, but uh, he wasn't, if you look at the history, too, he wasn't, like, as great as they made him out in the movie to be. So if you look at, like, real life Carlos Pena at this time, yeah, I mean, it definitely, I, it, you definitely should have traded him earlier, but I don't know, I, I guess... I guess really they, they played up the Pena thing to really express how much Billy Bean wants, wants to win in this. So he's, you know, and, and they and him and uh, Jonah Hill's uh, philosophy on, on winning, you know, Hatterberg was the man and, and, and in their eyes, there was no, no turning back. Like him and Art Howe would go back and forth about Pena and how Art Howe saw him as a, as, as, as this top, as his top caliber player and Billy Bean just didn't see it in his mind. He made it up. He knew what the right choice was. Would I have traded him? Uh, it, I, I don't know. It's hard back in the, you look back at, at that time. And I feel like I, I might've been like one of those old, uh, those old scouting agents being like, Hey, he's got a hot girlfriend. So he's going to be sharp on the Hill. He's going to be nice and concentrated. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough call. What, what about you? Would you have traded him? If, 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 trading Pena was gonna is going to make everything work like according to uh according to brand or peter brand then i guess i guess yeah and and it worked i think it works for the story too but it's funny again um having moneyball memes on was great because he's such a he's a big baseball fan he's he loves the movie highly recommends we we read the book too but like if yeah. you look at that team you know they dramatic dramatize dramatic i messed this up last time too dramatize that is dramatize yeah sure so <laughs> they they really make it like they are the the worst friggin team in the world but like right the pitchers on that roster were mark Mulder, barry mm-hmm. zito and tim hudson <laughs> and they had eric chavez and they had miguel tejada like it was a good team yeah. and, and jermaine it, died. jermaine died yeah jermaine died jermaine died too you're right and David Justice. Um, no, but it, yeah, no, I'm just, it's just, it's funny that like they, all of those players don't get any recognition in the movie. And like they had a, as, as Max um, said uh, for Moneyball memes, like they just, they had a great farm system and they kind of, it was years of building up to that season, really. Um, but let's, let's, let's go right yeah. back. Let's, let's go right into the, the final pitch uh, and literally the last question of this podcast. Is Moneyball the greatest baseball movie of all time and or the greatest sports movie of all time? And there's there's no wrong answer here. I'd there's love no to hear your your opinion as someone who is a, a one of the biggest movie buffs I know. Um, yes, not only is it one of the best baseball films, it's definitely one of the one of the most defining sports films I think ever made. And it's just every, everything about it is so well balanced in so many ways, obviously 
this this movie, I remember went and went through product like production development hell with um you know, it had it changed hands from directors, multiple screenwriters, multiple multiple story changes, um, and, uh, and, and including multiple different different uh, takes on it. I know they originally wanted to do sort of like documentary style with like some of the some of the staff and everything the the, the crew and and it changed hands so many times and and in this case it it turned into an incredible near perfect film if not as close to perfect as possible and it's just every minute is just used so effectively so efficiently it balances that line of of having these pockets of entertainment from all of these players it's not like it's not a billy bean movie it's not it's not uh i keep i can't remember jonah hill's peter brand peter brand peter brand Brand, as you said Peter Brand, not an art how uh, film. It's not. It's not about Billy Bean's daughter. You know, it's about all. It's not. It's not Scott. It's not about Spike Jonesy. It's not about Spike Jones popping in uh, as Robin Wright's husband. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things ever. The, but one of the uh, questions I asked Cat was, "What's the best Spike <laughs> Jones performance? Is it is it that or is it Wolf of Wall Street?" <laughs> it's, more, it's, Wolf, it's Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, come on, he's great. <laughs> I, but this movie, it's. It, it's so you know it's not like any other it's not like any other sports film where it's solely focused on the team and the mechanics of the team and a guy getting his split team split team fastball perfect it's about it, it balances the insider view of how to build a team the, uh, building a foundation changing the mechanics of the wor- of the world of that sport uh, it does it with pockets of entertainment from all these different a- high caliber actors but it also provides it, it gives you this this perspective that's that's incredible. There's there's that scene where Jonah Hill, uh, Peter Brand is is it, it's the whole montage, right? He's going through basically the breaking down uh, the the science of you know buying runs instead of players, and 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 basically like the the average the the you know uh, all of these all of these things that are now common, mm-hmm. uh, all, all of these things now that have truly changed the way we look at sports, the way we see sports, you add that to just, just these, this film that stands perfectly on its own without the sport. You, you could take probably all, you can just have everybody watching the baseball on TV, watching the baseball game. And it's still a fantastic, fantastic, just drama with the tension, with the, with the, with the comedy. It's, it's so, so wonderfully done. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Now, does that mean it's better than basketball? That is another podcast in itself. That That's might right. be up beyond your, I don't know. We'll Moneyball, basketball. I don't basketball. Know. <laughs> that is, that is a question you cannot answer with a simple answer. It's yes. a, it's a, don't, don't ask questions. You don't want the answers to. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> perfect answer for that question. <laughs> um, like a, all right. Well, we're out of time. And unfortunately, Ryan, you've been traded to the Phillies. Ah, oh. so sorry. So sorry. <laughs> oh. um, well, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 100 of the Socially Distanced Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast and all the other pod- podcasts from the Pop Break Podcast Network uh, on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can check out the next 
episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, episode 101, which will be the first in our Moon Knight review series because we're going right back to our Disney Plus viewing and we'll be checking out Oscar Isaac and uh, Ethan Hawke and Moon Knight. Super excited. And uh, you can follow us at popbreak.com spelt out on Twitter and at the popbreak on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Check out thepopbreak.com for all your pop culture uh, reviews and articles and uh, photo. Uh, so I was going to say photo reviews, but uh, my photos from <laughs> concerts and, and other amazing photographers, uh, reviews from shows and things like that. Uh, thank you so much. And how can you not be romantic about baseball? Take care.